Hello, beautiful people. It is Tuesday, April 7th, 2020. Another day of the COVID-19 asshole quarantine. I put a tweet out last night uh, about a conversation I had earlier today with Phil Maines. I said, I was talking with Phil. This COVID-19 quarantine feels like a perfect opportunity to hit the reset button on life. How you handled your business before the quarantine doesn't have to be how you do so afterwards. The negative bullshits don't have to survive this quarantine. This feels like the perfect time to reevaluate plans and goals and aspirations and reevaluate who's going to be a part of the journey while attempting to accomplish whatever's next. And who knows what's next, to be honest. Was what you wanted to do before the quarantine really what you want to do after the quarantine? Did this quarantine give us an opportunity to take the game out of the console, blow on that song, bitch, and get back in the game an even better version of ourselves? I hope so for me. I think I've realized that I've taken a lot of things for granted that I didn't even realize. And although this absolutely sucks, I once again hope that our show can be a little bit of a distraction. Dance, monkey, dance, I'll continue to do so. And I hope we can continue to hopefully find a little bit of a silver lining in this damn thing and become better versions of us on the other side of this. Now, obviously some people are going to come out of this thing just ready to go. That first weekend of bars, I bet you there's going to be so much pent-up energy at those places. Ty Schmidt was joking this morning that any bar that has one of those punching bags that tells a score thing might get five to six new top scores each night with humans who have been locked in their places finally getting a chance to go out in the wild and experience life with others again. And I hope after that we realize how precious and awesome this whole life can really be whenever we're not just focused on the bullshits. Today's show is brought to you by Simply Safe. And with all the uncertainty in the world, feeling safe at home has never been more important. That's why I want to talk to you about Simply Safe Home Security. They're longtime friends of our show, and for good reason. Simply Safe has made it easy to finally get comprehensive protection for your home. There's no technician, which is good because you're in a quarantine, or salesperson that needs to come and disrupt your house. You don't need to pay an outrageous monthly fee or sign it to your contract. You just order online, it'll get set, sent to your house. You set it up yourself, take you less than an hour, and your home is protected 24-7 with emergency dispatch for break-ins, fire, and more. Boom, just like that. All for just 50 cents a day. And we're not the only fans of Simply Safe. U.S. News and World Report named Simply Safe Best Overall Home Security of 2020. And right now, listeners of this show, when they head to simplysafe.com slash McAfee, will get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. That's simplysafe.com slash McAfee, M, nope, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com forward slash M-C-A-F-E-E. Make sure you go to that website so that they know that our show sent you and will continue to invest with us while we hopefully spread the word about how you should invest in your home security and comfort for 50 cents a day with Simply Safe at simplysafe.com slash McAfee, 60-day risk-free trial and free shipping. From Simply Safe and all of us here, wishing you safety and good health. Great show today. Let's get to it. Joining us now is Kansas City Chiefs tackle 
a man that was drafted to the Browns with the 37th pick. Then he got a chance to leave the dumpster fire and become a Super Bowl champion. Ladies and gentlemen, Mitchell Schwartz. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Mitch, quarantine life is not a great one. I hope you're enjoying the hell out of that Super Bowl championship somehow while being locked down in the house. Yeah, I'm basically just being a lineman and making a lot of food, eating a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not much else to do, so you might as well dig right into the food. They're talking about a potential maybe shortened season. Schedule makers are being told to make alternative 14-game season schedules, 12-game season schedules. I mean, there's a lot of, obviously, flux, and this is a very fluid situation going on. But for you guys, being the reigning champs, having a lot of your roster come back, Sammy Watkins just got whatever happened with him. He was supposed to leave. He's coming back. Like 90% of your roster is coming back off a championship. How are you guys feeling about a chance to maybe make another run at this? You have to feel pretty good, especially with the circumstances that we're currently living in right now. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to imagine that that benefits us. Um, you know, a veteran team that knows each other. I mean, you know, we know Pat can do whatever he wants out there, but just having thrown to all those guys and haven't done it the way he has, um, you know, our offense is, is pretty robust. And so, you know, when new receivers come in or, or new skill guys, I mean, it takes a while to, you know, learn everywhere that they're supposed to go. I mean, the formations, they move all over. Um, so just having those guys not needing to, I mean, you know how the offseason is. You install the offense like five different times, you know, through OTA phase one all the way through training camp. So we're not going to get all those. Um, so having guys that, you know, know what to do can pick it back up quick. Um, I think that's good for us. What's it like blocking for Patrick Mahomes? Dude, it's stupid. It's stupid to watch him play football. I couldn't even fathom being on the same field as him. And he goes to the right a lot, by the way, which is your side. I would assume that there's just a clock in your head where you're like, all right, he's probably running now. Let me see where the hell he's at. Let's figure out what we got going on. Yeah, I mean, typically I just go off. If my defensive end stops trying to beat me and starts running the opposite direction, Pat's probably breaking contain. But uh, the cool thing is, you know, we don't always see everything he does. I mean, we're, we're so busy blocking and uh, trying to make sure our guy doesn't get to him. And we, we don't see the crazy stuff as it's happening. So there's only a few of those plays where I've, like, been behind him and like can actually see him uh, and see see what's going on and so you know when you go back through Twitter after the game or even the next day when you're watching film with your coach and you know usually for for the offensive line you watch it from the perspective from behind the play so you can see what we're doing uh, a little bit better and he'll show it from you know the opposite angle the side angle that the skill guys use and he'll be like Hey, just 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 watch this play. See what happens on this one. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, man, I did not know that happened because I mean, you just don't see it. I mean, those things are, are so fun to watch. You have an absolute freak behind you. I, I mean, they're talking about. I mean, not just they. Everybody's talking about this could be the most gifted quarterback in the history of the NFL. How does he act? I, it seems like he's one of the most humble dudes too, which is a weird mix to happen. Now, I don't know what's going to happen when he gets two hundred million dollars guaranteed, which is probably going to happen. But <laughs> it feels as if he's this a, an incredible mixture because his dad was a pro ball player of humility, hard work, and incredibly talented, which doesn't happen on a very regular basis. Yeah, that's what makes him so awesome. Is that he's you know, the guy to be around in the locker room too. He's just one of the guys. I mean, he's still crazy young. I think I'm like seven years older than him or something. And so, um, you know, but it's cool that he's, you know, a guy that you want to hang out with. He's super cool, but he's also the leader of the team. And so to be able to, like you said, kind of blend all those different things together, stay normal, stay humble, uh, still be, you know, the fiercest competitor I've ever seen. I mean, whether 
uh, you know, guys are shooting basketball or doing something dumb. I mean, he still wants to win at that. And obviously that translates on the field. But um, like you said, I don't think, you know, the money part's going to change him. I mean, we saw this past offseason. He made plenty of money doing endorsements and being all over. And he was the same guy coming out of, you know, an MVP in his second season at 22 or 23 that he was the year before and then won us the Super Bowl. Pointing out the fact that Patrick Mahomes wants to win in everything that he does. And I think that's a massive part of being successful in the NFL is you have to have this uber competitive drive that seems to be unnormal. And I would assume in regular life is kind of a put off to people. With your experience in Cleveland, did you see nobody had that? <laughs> no, we, we, uh, so we had that. We just uh, had some other things going on where we didn't have Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> How nice is it? Like Every team is seeking and searching for their guy. I mean, that's just, as soon as you have a guy, you're trying your absolute best to hold on to that person forever until literally the train runs off the track. The Patriots had a guy for 20 years. They're going to go through the same thing trying to find a guy. Now, granted, Jared Stidham might be able to walk in there and that FIU guy might just be able to do it. But when you have a guy, there's nothing else like going into a season knowing that you have a chance. And, And then it's a complete opposite. When you don't have a guy going into a season, you're like, all right, we could get hot. We could find a guy. It's a lot of question marks. But going into the season, and going into the, the, the tail end here of your career, I mean, you're going to play another 10 years, obviously. But knowing that you're with a guy has to be an incredibly good feeling. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things I think we, we realized last year when Pat went down is, you know, we all can't just rely on him to bail us out of every situation. And so there, there is a, a mindset that, I mean, you know, you, you played with a great quarterback that, um, hey, it's okay, he'll take care of it at the end of the day. And if guys, you know, kind of lose that competitive edge or, or let things slip, um, that's when the, the team gets let down and you aren't able to succeed. And, you know, it's funny you say, you know, you kind of know going into a season with the quarterback. I mean, that was one thing in Cleveland that uh, I was young. I didn't really know any better. I mean, I always thought we were going to be good every year. And uh, Joe would, you know, be Joe Thomas would be a little more pessimistic than, than I was going <laughs> into a season just because he always had a sense of, I mean, realistically what a roster was going to look like and, you know, how good he thought the team could be. And that was something that I didn't realize or appreciate as a young player. You just kind of have that you know, eternal optimism and hey, we added some good players. I think we're going to be pretty good this year and, you know, it didn't click. And so being here now with Pat, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. And then on the flip side as an offensive lineman, I mean, I'm literally protecting, you know, the MVP of the league, the Super Bowl MVP. And so True. that puts the onus back on us up front, especially to, um, you know, do our best and, you know, give them as much time as possible. And, you know, we don't want them to, to take hits to get hurt, any of that stuff. So it's uh, it's a big challenge. I didn't even think about the pressure on the offensive line whenever you do have a guy that's going to get $200 million guaranteed standing <laughs> behind you. I didn't, even, I didn't even think about you sitting there in your set. All right, there's a, there's a guy that's worth a, a building behind us right now. <laughs> Sky's great. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh, my God. That is, that is, I didn't even think about that. And I apologize for never thinking from your point of view, and I should have done that a little bit more. Oh, no, that's good. I mean, that's, I think that's the biggest thing for me especially is, is what motivates you, what's, what gets you out of bed, what makes you, you know, work out in the offseason when you don't feel like it or when it's cold or when your body doesn't feel great. I mean, I'm literally protecting a guy's health on every play, whether it's the quarterback or the running back. And so, um, you know, other positions, oh, I dropped this pass, all right, I'll get him the next time. Or, oh, the receiver beat me and I gave a touchdown. That's not great, but okay. But when you've got, you know, a guy's health in your hands, I mean, that's a whole other level of, uh, of commitment that you're, you're kind of putting in that uh, teammate's hands. How was that parade? I, it had to be electric. Did you see the car the car chase before the parade kicked off? I mean, that thing was going from 9 a.m. all the way through with an incredible car chase, and then you guys came through with your ski glasses on and just shut it down. 
Yeah, that was awesome. Credit to, to Pat and uh, Oakley for that. He got us that you know, overnight express and you know had us uh, looking right. Yeah, the, I mean, the Kansas City fans, you know, I think Kansas City itself is what, like 400,000, 500,000 people and 1.2, 1.3 million uh, people were at the parade. So they came in from all over. I mean, they said the hotels were sold out. You know, every kind of form of transportation was, was packed. Um, it was the coolest thing I've been a part of. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not as uh, crazy into drinking as uh, some of the, the other videos that we've seen. So uh, I was kind of you know, chilling on the, on the back of the bus a little bit more. But uh, when you turn that final corner and you see, I mean, all of those people up on the hill and you even see it you know, back up to the, the World War One Museum monument and people are at the top of that just trying to get a look and... Uh, it was an incredible one. I mean, those, those pictures they called the Sea of Red. Uh, so, so amazing. And those are the things that you don't forget. I mean, you'll forget things that happen in the game and other things, but you don't forget that feeling and, um, you know, kind of the, the moments that make you go, wow, we're, we're all in this together. What was Andy Reid like? What, what were your expectations going into the Andy Reid program and then what was it afterwards whenever you come from cleveland you've probably heard everybody knows of andy reed everybody hears people saying glowing things about andy reed then when you get in his system was it confusing was he awesome what was the expectation versus reality like with andy reed yeah like you said everyone knows the about him i mean that was the cool thing i think leading up to the super bowl is you know people kind of get tired of all the, the fake media stories but there are so many awesome stories about coach reed you know as a person as a mentor uh, what he's done and so you know that's one of the driving forces for guys I think to come to Kansas City is knowing the foundation he's built um, you know from the offense line perspective um, you know we do throw the ball a lot I mean that's that's pretty obvious and so you know O-linemen don't necessarily love you know pass protection but the thing that makes it O-line friendly is you know he mixes in screens he mixes in play actions uh, you know everything in the pass game is so on rhythm you know another thing that people kind of take for granted with Pat is uh, you know, he's making these rhythm passes. He's not just playing street ball all the time. And so, you know, the, the offense is so precise and so fast and efficient that uh, the ball's out fast. I mean, that's an O-lineman's advantage. And then just being around Coach Reed, I mean, he is an O-lineman. He's got, you know, our sense of humor. Uh, he doesn't, you know, let it out too much. There is, you know, kind of the, the boss aspect of, um, maintaining that uh, kind of working environment but you know seeing his you know wry sense of humor and you know those Saturday night meetings before games and uh, you know it, it comes out and uh, just an awesome guy to, to be around and you know the biggest thing for me is you know getting to Kansas City uh, I'd already had three coaches in four years and you know every new coach they try to have 20 minute team meetings and all these speeches and you know coaches and about that he, he keeps it short and sweet and then he just trusts us to do our job well, he, it worked out. <laughs> and I, 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 the team is a veteran-led team now going into next year. You've been there, done that. You've been down 21 in games. You've been down. To, what were the huddles like whenever you guys were down a remarkable amount and then scored 28 points in one quarter? Was there just an untouchable-like feel in that huddle whenever you're down, I don't know, 20 points, three scores? You look up there and you go, meh. That's no big deal. We can we can still have the lead by halftime if we want. I mean, it was magical watching you guys flip a switch and become this offense that was unstoppable. But did you guys have that feeling in the huddle and on the sideline like, hey, we just got to figure it out, and then as soon as we do, it's over? Or was there a little bit of like, all right, we have to go now. Like, this is a time where we have to go. It's a little bit of both. I mean, we, we know that when we're doing it right, you know, it's pretty impossible to stop. I mean – we just have too many good players and if things are you know broken down like we've said i mean pat just just makes it work somehow so um we got the confidence in each other i mean typically in those situations i mean there's the human nature element of you know things we're down 
24 points at the beginning of the second quarter in a home playoff game after a bye, and it was like, man, that didn't go the way we wanted to. <laughs> but, uh, you know, let's stay positive, let's trust each other. And so there's a little bit of that kind of self-talk and, and talking to each other. And then, you know, once that first thing happens, I mean, I think we scored, like you said, 28 points on like 20 plays or something, even less than that. And it just gets rolling, and it's crazy. I mean, uh, it's super fun to be part of. I mean, I've never – been part of something like that i mean the nfl hasn't really seen stuff like that and so uh it's a weird feeling just going out there and just like you don't real i mean i didn't realize that we scored on seven straight possessions you just don't realize that in the moment you just keep going out there and playing and then someone says hey you know you just scored like seven straight touchdowns right <laughs> like oh all right <laughs> <laughs> who says that is that a conversation that happens on the sideline or are you guys just all like you don't even understand in the middle of it you're just like yeah we got a job to do let's keep it moving typically that's kind of in the fourth quarter towards the end as things are winding down. I mean, games in hand a little bit, and they're showing those graphics on the, the Jumbotron. And, Damn! Uh, <laughs> yeah, they did they're what? Yeah, they, they threw up a thing that said, uh, hey, if, if we score another touchdown, just so you know, there's not going to be any fireworks. We ran out. We scored too much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. Awesome. Cole quit. Let's get a punt. We don't have enough fireworks. <laughs> you guys yeah, he's, he's like – he, he hates our offense. He doesn't get to work. I mean, he's got like one punt a game. It's at a random time in the game. And he's got to stay warm for three and a half hours throughout that. I've always said this. Like, people think the people that don't punt often is an easier job than punting all the time. Now, granted, if you don't punt often, that means you're winning, which is good. You're happy. But it's much easier to get into a groove and have like five, six punts a game. Colquitt gets called out in the fourth quarter, all right? Whatever the reason is, middle of the fourth quarter, he's been hanging out for three hours. Like, all right, need to pin him deep here, bud, or we're not going to win the Super Bowl. It's like, all right, yeah, I've just been sitting around <laughs> punting into a net for three hours. It's a it's a wild scene. And your kicker, he just posted a photo of him or a video of him in a 70 seven yard field goal. you guys are set up in all three phases for success for the foreseeable future i'm happy for you I'm, i am so happy for you guys thank you yeah that was one of the cool things i mean coming here coach tobe i mean his name was you know floated for head coaching stuff the past few years and just the job he's done on special teams i mean we we put up at the beginning of otas kind of you know team goals for what the offense defense and special teams wants to be and you know the, the goals are always being number one and you look at the past you know three or four or five seasons and it's all top five. It's, it's incredible to have that good of a special teams unit every year. And, you know, especially in this day and age when you're kind of not keeping those veteran guys quite as long, you're rotating the younger part of the roster that does play on teams. I mean, he's got to totally revamp that every year. And, um, you know, we got our old guy in Dustin, but uh, everyone else seems to be pretty young. What do you – well, Tyree Kill at returner, and then you bring in Nicole Hardman. That helps out a lot. Just got guys that run four ones everywhere. It's unbelievable. What's your future look like? You seem to be an incredibly intelligent human. You're an offensive lineman. That kind of goes hand in hand. Hard worker. What are you going to do whenever you're done with the game? Have you even put any thought in it? Or are you in the middle of that seven straight drives with touchdowns, just blinders on? Let me figure out what I'm doing tomorrow. No, we get, uh, we get a lot of time off in the offseason, so you, you tend to think about that. Um, you know, I'm not sure what, what path it's going to be. I do love football. I mean, I love talking about it. I love watching it, um, whether that's something in kind of the media world or being able to break things down. I mean, that, that would be cool. Um, you know, on Instagram lately, I've just been cooking a bunch and posting food pictures and stuff. So whether hey, it's a you fat asses are good cooks. I mean, hey, the I know like four or five offensive linemen that are like damn good, like not just average cooks. We're talking like damn good. Are you a big green egg guy? Yeah. Yeah, I got my green egg. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I got a, a normal gas grill. I've got – that was one of the big things. It sounds weird, but going to Kansas City, I had just kind of a small, crappy apartment in Cleveland, and I wanted a house, I wanted a patio, and I wanted to get a grill. So the green egg was the first thing I got. 
<laughs> Most offensive line. Is that your brother, Jeff? Yeah. He, I think he does really good stuff on the internet and on the television. I, I think he's done a great job transitioning from the game and into the whole media world. I would assume that's a good blueprint for you to have right there in the house. Yeah, I mean, let him open every door for me and just slide right in. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he is the thing with him, which is you know even more awesome. I mean, a lot of the O linemen that you know tend to be on on media won a Super Bowl or play with the Giants for eight years or New York or some sort of yeah. kind of big market kind of high profile career i mean he played eight years but he was a late seventh round draft pick he played for five or six teams and bounced around so to, to have the media career he has i mean that's all hard work that's all earned and uh you know i don't know what what the future holds for that but it seems like he keeps getting more gigs which is awesome to see well mitchell we appreciate your time uh try to stay upbeat over there in the quarantine cook the hell out of some food and i can't wait to see you guys get back on the field you guys were fun to watch this past season ladies and gentlemen all pro super bowl champ right tackle of the kansas city chiefs mitchell schwartz cheers man thank you you, man have a good one good conversation with Mm -hmm. the guy right there Good conversation with the guy. By the way, I would have been the one on the sideline that would have walked over after four straight drives. <laughs> Yo, you guys have scored on the last four. Do you know you, five drives? You guys have six drives. You guys, they're going to run out of fireworks. And then the, the jumbo Trump puffs. I told you they were going to run out of fireworks. I didn't know how it was possible. I feel like that team, they are set up for success so much now mm-hmm. with this OT. Oh, yeah. Because it's very hard to duplicate a Super Bowl run. Very, very, very hard. That's why the Patriots for the last 20 years, it's been so impressive because they debunked every single norm that is in the NFL. If you lose in a Super Bowl, you can't get back next year. The numbers are staggering for the people that can't get back. If you win a Super Bowl, you can't get back to the Super Bowl. The numbers are staggering aside from the New England Patriots of ever getting back. Now with these unprecedented times, it's almost like it's assisting the teams that got the Niners. Their whole team's coming back. They already got their offensive thing in set. Then the Chiefs, their entire team's coming back. They already, it just is a very interesting time here, and I'm excited to see how it kind of, you know, interrupts the season. Now, granted, there should be a season, is what the president told the commissioners. There should be a season by September. The NFL schedule makers are told that they have to make uh, other schedules for a potential 14-game season or a 12-game season. That'll be interesting, intriguing. I don't know how you do that in the division. I don't get it. Diggs, what are you going to say? Uh, so this came out when the Sammy Watkins thing was rescheduled last week. The Chiefs offense will now have 10 of 11 Super Bowl starters, five of its top six leading rushers, eight of its top nine leading receivers, six of its top seven O-linemen in terms of snaps played returning. Eric Bianmi's coming back, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. Butker, Colquitt. It's, and they are, by the way, as the Andy Reid season ends, right? We've always said going into last year, going into every year, there's always this thing called the Andy Reid season where Andy Reid just can't help himself. He has so many good plays, he can't have any discipline to hold him back. Like he spends them all in the first 10 weeks. They look like they're awesome. They look like they're going to win forever. And then the end of the season, there's always some fall off point. Now with all the weapons he has, I think Andy is still creating new plays every single week. And that entire team now knows the Andy Reid playbook, all the extra plays that they could have created during the end of the season, and then their playoff run, they all know it because they're all coming back. So they are so far Mm -hmm. ahead of everybody else of what it's going to be. It's going to be tough to beat that Chiefs team. That's why uh, Tom Brady went to the NFC. (laughs) 
Hello and welcome to McAfee and this is just incense here. This is just incense. <laughs> McAfee and Hawk Sports Talk here. I am Pat McAfee. To my left, your right, is the handsome Ohio State legend, A.J. Hawk. How are you, A.J.? How was the weekend, pal? Weekend was great. Uh, I think right now the days of the week don't really matter a whole lot to, to many of us. But, uh, yeah, it was good. We had two nights of WrestleMania. I'm sure you're excited. We'll, we'll dive into some of that. It's a bit weird watching it with no uh, fans. I give those dudes and those guys and gals a lot of credit. They they perform like there's a full, sold-out, 100,000-seat stadium when, when they're in there with nobody. You know, the thing that was in uh, the ladder match, the ladder match was absurd because you, you would think, you know, they say, like, the adrenaline helps you. Like, I watched you win a Super Bowl yesterday as well on Fox. Congrats to you, by the way. Way to go, AJ. I watched you win a Super Bowl. There was a couple times where you got pancaked and ran over, but they say the adrenaline is something that you don't even really feel it in the moment. You just kind of move forward. I would assume in the wrestling world, the adrenaline comes from the fans and the energy. So whenever they're doing those massive ladder things, that had to hurt so bad. There was a couple times I was watching, I was like, man, I don't know how they're doing it, but I'm very impressed with their mental fortitude because I would not be fucking around and falling on a ladder from 20 feet. I mean, it was insane to watch the weekend of entertainment. And due to the circumstances, those shows could have been despicable. They could have been terrible shows. I mean, they could have been terrible, terrible. I think with what the world has right now with no fans and the ability, not the, having the ability to have all your wrestlers there at the same time, they're kind of coming in waves, so everybody's away from each other. I think it was a good show, and it was a great little escape of entertainment. I appreciated it immensely, as I did watching your Green Bay Packer team win that Super Bowl. I forgot how good of a game that was and how good your team was. Yeah, it was a close game. It came down to the last possession. We had to make a stop to, to get the win, but I wanted to go back to WrestleMania quick. How do you think Gronk did? I didn't see – like, I didn't – I got both nights because my seven-year-old wanted to see some of the matches, but I didn't get to see Gronk a whole lot. Like, what was he doing? I know he was hosting. Like, when did he come out and what did he say? He danced a couple of times. There was a couple of dancing moments. He cut two promos. Beginning of first night and the beginning of second night, he cut two promos. I thought he did okay. I mean, the way he was dressed was uh, the most Gronk thing of all time, the glasses. Then he jumped off like a 10-foot-high platform onto about 50 dudes. Then he uh, pinned his friend Mojo Raleigh for the 24-7 title. He's a champion. And, and this begs to ask the question, since Gronkowski is a champion yet again now outside of the NFL, the Patriots... The Patriots haven't been worth a damn since Rob Gronkowski left so long ago. You know what I mean? It, it, the 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 decline of the dynasty really begins and ends with Rob Gronkowski no longer being a Patriot. And then he comes in WWE his second day on the job. He's a champion. Is Rob Gronkowski the it factor to building a dynasty, or was this potential thing that happened during WrestleMania kind of tough to watch? That's an interesting question that you could ask either way there. <laughs> Yeah, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't get to see Gronk. I'll have to go back and check it out. I saw online that he won some kind of belt or, sorry, championship, as you guys say, in the biz, right? So Can't what kind of belt, belt did he get? Belts hold up your pants, okay? Titles. All right, Sam Roberts, thank you. <laughs> you want Sam Roberts on this show? We can get Sam Roberts on this show. <laughs> I know, I've heard Sam say that. I listen to Jim and Sam sometimes. You got to text Sam and try to get him on? <laughs> Well, we got Drew McIntyre in 10 minutes, so I don't, we can fit in. Hey, Sam, can we FaceTime you? <laughs> I told him last night I did a uh, WrestleMania reaction show with him. I said, can I just call you tomorrow anytime if we need, have any questions or anything? And he was like, sure, man, call me whenever. I'm literally locked in my house, so just do whatever. I, think I know my, he's got a nice studio in his basement, so his connection should be good. Oh, uh, he always tells, have you heard the story of his studio? 
He'll, no. inv- he'll invite people to his studio, okay? And they have no idea what it is. They think he has his own studio, and then they show up at his house, and then they, they walk past, like, his wife and kid, and then they walk down the basement into the <laughs> studio that he has. It, Sam Roberts is one of my favorite humans on Earth. He is hated on the Internet, but in real life, he's one of my favorite people on Earth. I think WrestleMania... Had a good show, though. I honestly did. This weekend, Saturday, we were talking about this off air. Saturday felt like it was seven days long. I mean, it felt <laughs> so long. I, I, The days are getting long at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah, they are. I, I, I bet it's different for, for people, say, you're single by yourself. How long that day may be? Say you're you're married you or you're engaged, KY you're living with yeah. a, a <laughs> you're living with your spouse or something. That's long. And then if you have kids, you're trying to entertain them throughout the days. So it makes it, it's another form of you got a, of length for the day. You got a bunch of single dudes out there using Roman swipes on themselves to masturbate to pass the time a little bit hey, longer. Hey, hey, I told you that in confidence. <laughs> <laughs> Frankie boy beating the salami. <laughs> I mean, these these times are honestly. Uh, it is. I thought WrestleMania was massive because it was something new and exciting to watch, and I thought they did well. We have Drew McIntyre joining us in nine minutes. He's a champion. Let's talk about some things before we get to him. The NFL draft is becoming one that I think is going to be legendary, just like WrestleMania is going to be memorable because of the way it was with no fans and how they battled through. This NFL is becoming one now where they're going to have to adjust. They're doing it from people's houses. They're doing it from facilities and restaurants and Rich Eisen and the ESPN host, whoever it will be, will be in one, I, I assume, on FaceTime and one page, and then they'll send it over to somebody's house where they'll make a pick. And now you have NFL executives genuinely paranoid that one team or multiple teams are going to hire a young hacker and hack into team zooms and get a piece of what they're talking about and i'll tell you what i am pumped up about that paranoia and i'm not putting it past any team to potentially bring in some special ops it guy to hopefully get a little peek and to see what the hell belichick's doing to see what other teams are doing andy Reid, maybe the cincinnati Bengals. that seems like a place that'd be easy to hack they have no indoor <laughs> practice facility i would assume they're they're cyber uh uh, security is probably just like when you got to knock twice on and you just get right in. I would assume the Bengals aren't going to have I am pumped up about the paranoia around this whole thing, and I can't wait to see how it all plays out. I think that this is one where the, the paranoia actually may be a little bit legit, like we've said many times. Oh, you think so? Football coaches especially are the most paranoid people on the planet. Didn't oh, yeah. you tell a story how the, what your GM or somebody thought the plane flying overhead was the, the Patriots spying on practice or something? I know it's them. I know it's Belichick. <laughs> I know that happens. But with this, I guess you could. I think I said something to you uh, before we, we started the show that this may benefit some of the younger staffs that are a little more tech savvy. Some guys that know like the ins and outs of the Ooh, Internet a little yeah, bit more. Yeah. Maybe they can recruit somebody bring them on to the staff and you could label them as like your IT guy or somebody to make sure your Zoom connection and everything goes well on draft day. But then you can just slowly start feeding them a little, hey, what do you, uh, if you wanted to dial up some other team, like say the, the three teams that are picking above us, could you possibly just maybe take a gander at maybe what their conversations look like? And the guy's probably thinking, yeah, sure, let me just code it. And he, he pops it up. <laughs> but is that illegal? Do you get fines and huge repercussions from the NFL if that happens? This is a uh, such a unique time. I don't think there's rules in, in the playbook for this right now. I think it's illegal in real life. I'd assume you can't just hack into other people's phone calls. But, I mean, the NFL has its own rules. We all know that. Weed's legal in places, but the NFL doesn't allow it. But I have... My sources are telling me that Snowden has been signed by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> Snowden, Assange, 
Anonymous, all no, hot. No, anonymous. Right now. Go after anonymous. Those are the people you do not want to ever mess with and get on the wrong side of. Oh no, they they can pretty much do whatever they want. It seems like through a, through a computer. Oh. Hey, and they got that V for Vendetta mask on too. I mean, they're out there doing it. I what if you walked into the Bucks draft room? Like, the, there's a guy in the corner. They didn't mean to, but some guys like the GM's FaceTime. Like, oh yeah, we just picked over. And then you see a guy in the corner wearing the anonymous mask. <laughs> 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 How'd you guys know to? Uh, <laughs> how'd you know that he'd still be there at seventeen or whatever? Whoever, whatever team it is, we uh, you know, sources. we just we do our research. We, we keep things, and you're like, oh, hey, get that guy out of the shot. Oh, they're really worried about that. But I think it was this. I think that's how this came to be, or this is how that came to be. I think whenever the owners were trying to tell the GMs and the scouts, like, hey, we're doing it as planned, figure it out. And the owners like, well, we or the GM was like, we want to meet the player so we know what type of person we're getting. And then the scouts are like, oh, we're not sure. He, he plays a little bigger than we think he is. We'd like to see him in person. We're not going to be able And the owners are like, no, you still got to do it. And some, some scout was like, oh, somebody's going to hack into our fucking shit then. That's that's why. We, <laughs> like the, the excuses to move the draft, I think, were all just kind of lining up. And last resort was, ah, they're going to get Edwin, Edwin Snowden and he's going to hack into our, into our mainframe and we're not going to know what's going to happen. And those billion-dollar owners are like, they're, they're not going to hack into mine internet i've been i've been on pornhub for what two weeks <laughs> two weeks you think they're gonna get our fans only only what if they did the entire thing through only fans for a subscription base i i mean I, I think obviously the nfl has a beautiful way of overthinking things i think it's gonna work out just fine and i'm pretty pumped up about it yeah i think it's gonna be fine it'll be a bit different i know they're they're trying to figure out if roger goodell is gonna be at his house announcing the picks or if he drives the espn studios like do you why care where Roger, Roger announces it? it? Why, I, why, why does it matter? Why can't the GM of the team or the owner of the team make the announcement of who they're picking? Like, hey, okay. This I is agree. That's a, great, that's a great idea, actually. Why does Goodell have to do it? He gets booed every single time he walks to the podium anyway. Well, there'll be no booing. So if I was him, this is maybe the time to do it so I can understand him wanting to do it. But you send to the Cincinnati Bengals, what, Shed or whatever they're doing this from? <laughs> and then uh, you, you see Braun and the GM. Who's the GM? Nobody knows. Exactly. Zach Taylor, like with the first pick, we're selecting Joe Burrow quarterback from LSU. And then, okay, cut to the Joe Burrow house feed celebrating. Ah, he does he put on a Bengals hat or does he Ooh. swat the camera? And then you go back to Rich Eisen and whoever else is hosting. And then, bang, second pick. Let's go to the Washington Redskins house, wherever they're doing it at. Ron Rivera's there with the GM. And with the second pick, we select defensive end from Ohio State. Chase Young. And we lied about the Tua thing because we thought the motherfuckers would want to trade for us, but or trade with us, but they didn't. So we're taking the once in a generation player, Chase Young. Okay, go to Chase Young's thing, celebrating, put the hat on. Way to go, Chase. Let's go back to Rich with the third pick, the Detroit Lions. Trade their pick for nothing in return because they're the Detroit Lions. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. Well, you got me thinking that. Yeah, a team could try to bring in a hacker to try to hack into other teams' feeds and see what they may be doing. But also if anonymous or some uh, some hackers want to just create a little bit of chaos couldn't they kind of hack into the broadcast and like the different zoom connections and oh. facetimes going on and try to put up some weird propaganda that they just want to mess with people there's people that have been hacking into everybody's stuff by the way wwe yeah. got hacked the nfl got hacked everybody people have been getting hacked here recently i i think those that nfl executive that told uh whoever that you know somebody could hack into our zoom i don't think they fully understand that the, the said people that you're talking about 
they can hack into anything. They they can anytime they want to do anything, they can do it. But that's the world we live in, and there's nothing you can do about it. Because when V for Vendetta shows up, everything you've ever done in the dark becomes the light. Well, it just I guess it makes it. I would assume it gives them a little more. It makes it a little bit easier for people to hack into it when it's all digital and it's not like oh, oh yeah. everybody's in one place, especially the first rounders. Oh, wait, and wait. I, it w- will be fun to see. Though we will be think thinks it's going to be exciting wait. to watch how. With the delays people have with their FaceTimes when they're like, you know, someone's getting drafted, they're going to cut to his house, and then they're going to try to do like a little quick interview from the NFL Network guys, and there's going to be nine-second delays, and it's going to pixelate. Like, oh, that's what I'm looking forward to. We're happy. Yeah, can't wait to play football. <laughs> <laughs> and what? family members don't know that, like, he's on camera and they're hey, doing we weird things in the background. <laughs> Hey, we in quarantine. We still getting paid. I mean, I couldn't even fathom my friends if that was to happen. Uh, So what were they going to do? They were going to go to Roger Goodell at his house. So Rich Eisen and them were going to throw it to Roger Goodell at his house. And then they were going to throw from Roger Goodell's house to the draft picks house. And then back to that just makes no sense. But I understand Roger Goodell. uh, That's a big the commissioner welcoming people into the NFL. I can see how that would be something that you would want to maintain, but it feels like just going to the teams and having them do it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Take one step out of the process. You're right. Why does Goodell have Goodell could, he could start the draft out and say, oh, and Cincinnati Bengals are on the clock. And then that's the last time we hear from Roger Goodell. Like ever. <laughs> no, for hey, the geez, draft at least or for the first you. round. Like why do you have to keep cutting back to Roger in his family room trying to say, okay, Washington Redskins are on the clock. Like, do we have to do that? We don't. And then, though, Roger usually taps out after, what, the third round? Who t- who's the living room are we going to for that? His Whoever's underneath him? Are they going to my living room? I mean, the good news is that my announcement for at least another year will have a, a nice little steadfast of, hey, the last great announcement was this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I have not been approached, by the way, by anybody hmm. to be a part of it. It's weird. Are they going to do that? Are they going to have like the celebrity announcers like they had with you? What what round did you do? Third? Yeah, third round. So you announced the Colts' third round pick. Do you think they're going to continue that and have Damn. different players from teams come and, hey, guys, then the fourth round selection for the Cincinnati Bengals and the guys tell them? Well, you're banking on that person to have good Wi. You're banking on everybody to have good Wi-Fi, right? Like Orlovsky tried to sabotage our show. Mm. He goes on other people's show. There's no problem. He went on Leftco show. Did you see that? Yeah, great and it was like connection. 8, really, eight K. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this guy. I hate him. <laughs> he bombed on Get Up this morning. I had to call. <laughs> I had to call. What did he do? What was he taking a stance on? He tried to take a make a hummish joke, and it was. I mean, delivered okay, I guess, but the crowd reaction was not good. Greenberg actually said that in. In the middle of this coronavirus, Greenberg said, you're trying to ruin this show. Not the sports. <laughs> the joke from Orlovsky was trying to ruin the show. So, I mean, I, I like that. But he tried to sabotage our show. Imagine some third-round draft pick guy who, you know, has just been hanging out for a few years, retired, and they're like, hey, you want to make the announcement for insert name of your team? Like, oh, I'd be honored or whatever. Okay, well, all we need is you're just, you'll FaceTime into this thing or whatever. He's like, FaceTime? And, yeah, just hit the FaceTime thing. Okay, I'll, I'll just use the, we got good Wi-Fi. Yeah, my kids love it. And then he'd call in and it's just like, with the third, which is a screen, a frozen screen, and then young. Okay, they picked a young. Which fucking one did they pick? Was it Chase Young? Was it what? Which young did they? Steve Young? Did they just pick Steve Young? I'm excited for the inevitable technology fail 
that is going to happen. I mean, it's definitely going to happen. And the fact that they're trying to combat it, I like it, but it's just not, it's going to happen. I mean, it's just the way things work in this world. Well, yeah, ESPN and NFL Network's not going to be able to go to each first rounder's house and set up a professional camera setup like Orlovsky has that he didn't use for this show that he uses for Get Up and other shows. But they're, they're not going to be able to set everybody up with that situation. Hopefully, at least Roger Goodell has a nice professional setup, and he's not holding his phone all wobbly trying to announce uh, the number one pick. 40 mil a year, that guy. He's probably got a great job. He might have NFL Network in his house. Like, <laughs> like the actual Culver City might be just a part of uh, we got to get to Drew McIntyre, so we're probably going to have to hang up on you. Good. <laughs> Call me back. Huh? Call me back when he's there. I want to tell him congratulations. Well, I'm going to tell him congratulations first. No, so, he hung up. That's what I thought. <laughs> we are currently calling Drew McIntyre. Our tech is set up in a fashion where you have to <laughs> group FaceTime. So to call Drew, we have to hang up on AJ and call AJ and Drew at the same time. Great connection, though. Always. Oh, yeah. Oh, not From always. our end. Orlovsky. Yeah. Terrible oh, connection. Tried to ruin our show. Then we had Dr. Drew on last week and then this weekend. By the way, there are people going after Dr. Drew. Yeah. I was getting a lot of tweets from people that were like, this was the guy you let on your platform. I'm like, take it fucking easy, pal. He's a doctor still. And then they're like, oh, is he? And then there's just a lot of people going after Dr. Drew. We'll talk to AJ about that after the Drew McIntyre conversation because that was his booking. But I believe right now, if you're a doctor... Got a lot of pressure on you. <laughs> Got careful. a lot of pressure on you. Um, this isn't Dr. Drew, but ladies and gentlemen, the new heavyweight champion of the world, the sexy Scotsman, the mild-mannered oh, McIntyre, <laughs> Drew McIntyre. Well, you guys see the plates. Oh, look at that. I saw a little video uh, on uh, WWE Social that they were changing out the nameplates for you. A, congratulations. How did AJ and I help you beat Brock Lesnar? <laughs> oh, you guys inspired me. You fired me up. You guys are so full of energy that I stole some of that energy. Then when I was around Gronk for two seconds, he's just nonstop. It's like having two mojos. I stole some of his energy, and I applied all that energy when I took down Brock in less than five minutes. Hey, a lot of people talked about that less than five minutes. They didn't know how many, you know, suplexes you'd be able to take or F5s you'd be able to take. Were you doing a little bait and switch there? Were you a little playing a little dead? You took four F5s? Were you just letting him? Paul Heyman was actually saying, we'll do this all night <laughs> until he can't kick out anymore. Did you hear that? Were you playing possum? And were you just biding your time for the Claymore to show up and say, gotcha, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if I could say I was playing possum because uh, he came right out the gate swinging. You could just see the look in his eyes. Like he was ready to go. There's nothing more intimidating than Brock Lesnar with his game face on. Unfortunately for him, I had my game face on too. Yeah. Like if you could read my mind, what was going on in my head, I literally was thinking, I can take Brock Lesnar right now. And if he tries any funny business in this match, I'll oh. beat him up for real. That's <laughs> legit was going through my head. And it, I could feel the tension. It's weird watching it on the couch as it's on the screen. And reliving it as I'm watching it, but you know, I, I felt I felt held my own in that stare off because that was the important part of the match to me. Then he beat my ass pretty good for a little bit. And he threw me around a little bit, gave me the F fives. I kicked up on one on the first one. He kept going, going, and at some point, I stopped getting hurt. I started getting angry. Three claymore, claymores later, just like in Brooklyn, last time we were together, I gave him three claymores. Three, ah, ah, ah. There was three more. <laughs> I took him down, won the title, and like I say, I absorbed Brock Lesnar's best. 
and I beat him in five minutes. And I think that just set me off perfect as who I'm going to be as a champion. I slayed the beast and slayed him convincingly. Well, hey, it was an inspiring thing. My, my seven-year-old son really wanted to watch it. And he did and loved it, had a great time. I, was, I wanted to know what it was like afterwards. Do you run into Brock backstage at all after something like this happens? I'll see him very briefly. Brock is a private person. Nice title. Um, he doesn't love uh, being around people um, necessarily. So I'll kind of leave it at that. You know, we went in. The match went the way it went. And I, I couldn't have looked any better. So I won't go into any more details than that, but I'm very grateful how everything went and for everybody that was involved. Yeah, I could imagine. You said in that stare down, you had to let them know that if there was any funny business, you're okay with that too. Because in matches of the past, especially at WrestleManias, he does start barren, barreling those elbows down on people's face. And it seems like it's coming out of nowhere to everybody's... Did you expect some of that, especially after you kicked out after a one? I mean, I feel like that's a pretty... Uh... Um, I didn't know what to expect. I can just tell you what was going on in my mind. Hopefully my eyes were conveying exactly how I felt. It was just, I'm ready for you. Like, no matter what happens in this match, I'm ready for you. Like, at one point, he tried to German me. I grabbed the ropes. I pulled my tricep oh, yeah. a little bit. It's, it's fine now. But when he yanked me so hard, I refused. Like, the ropes were right there. And, like, I'm not just going to let Brock Lesnar ragdoll me around. I'm not going to let anyone ragdoll me around. So if the ropes are there, I can grab the ropes. I'm going to grab the ropes. And sure enough, he beat me down and gave me anyway. But that one moment where I grabbed the ropes, so he didn't expect that. And my tricep didn't expect <laughs> to pull pretty good. Because like there was a few real moments in there, and that's the way I like it, and I know that's the way he likes it. You know what I thought is cool is that we can hear pretty much everything being said from Paul Heyman, from you guys in there, from the referee. Do you guys talk more or less without the crowd being there? Um, I mean, I don't talk too much in matches as it is. I just get pretty physical, and I believe at this level you should be able to do your job with minimal conversation. If I grab, if Brock grabs me and throws me, he's not going to tell me what's going on. I'm just expected to land, know how to land and land. But Paul Heyman helped set the atmosphere, absolutely. Like watching it and seeing the environment we're in, I know I was in the zone. It was as if 80,000 people were there in my mind. I was so locked in on Brock, it didn't even matter. I was in the zone the whole time, but watching it, I could see Heyman really setting the, the tone and telling the story, which really helped the match in the environment. And it wasn't until the match was over, I had my kind of personal moment with the title. And uh, you know, that was cool seeing it because I had the same emotion on the couch as I had watching it on TV is when I realized, oh, yeah, there's millions of people watching. I was kind of in the zone there. And then I kind of crawled to the camera and I had a moment where I looked right into the camera like you're not supposed to do. It's called breaking the fourth wall. In movies, you don't see people looking down the camera. But nonetheless, I saw it there. I looked right down and I kind of reached out to everybody and just let the world know, you know, thank you for supporting me this whole time, and thank you for allowing WWE to take your mind off things during this time. And They could have edited it, and expected it to be edited, because it's not something we do, but they kept it in there, and it was cool because it was very real when I was reaching out to everybody. 18 years, man. 18 years, and I, we heard your story a lot this weekend, how Vince McMahon anointed you the chosen one a long way back, and all you kept saying was, you know what I mean, world titles, opportunities I've had since then is zero, and then you said you are, you're not going to be remembered as a guy who played the air guitar or whatever. So vindication had to be at an all-time high, I assume, last night, just for your entire career coming full circle. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, with the chosen one thing, I think in recent months it's felt cooler to not be chosen by management, but chosen by the fans. I feel like the fans mm. chosen one right now, especially seeing the outpouring of support and positivity on social media from my colleagues in WWE and every other company in the world that I've came across, um, you know, during my career. 
and apparently it was pretty nice too because they were all very positive you know about everything and you know, i feel like everyone out there has chosen one right now the management's which is i think way cooler than being chosen by management what's your plan now i guess obviously you're the champ you you got to the top of the mountain do you are you already setting like the the pieces in place so that you're hopefully headlining next year's wrestlemania hopefully in front of a a stadium full of people for sure i don't think too far ahead that's what i used to do when i was younger and you think too far ahead you don't think about the in-between part. So I guess short-term goals, realistically, right now, it's such uncertain times. We don't know what's going to happen week by week. We can only follow, you know, the um, health recommendations, the CDC guidelines, and we can try and keep bringing everybody original content. I want to be steering the ship and making the show as entertaining as possible. Because I think we did that with WrestleMania. We thought outside the box. Everyone worked so hard. We had unique matches. And it was an entertaining two days that really did take everybody's mind off of what was going on. I know that because I've seen all the social media chatter out there. So I'm thinking about, you know, keeping that going as long as I can. Once we get going again, I want to keep defending the title. You know, I actually show up to work, unlike Brock. So the title will be represented on the show. (laughs) So the title will be represented. I want to be a fighting champion. And when I get back, you know, in front of a crowd, when I walk out and the people are going to be rabid, we'll get passionate fans as it is. But if they've you know, not been in an arena for a long time, to get back in that arena, we're back in the arena, it's going to be a fever pitch, and I want to walk out with the title, raise it up. And that's not going to be – I had my WrestleMania moment last night. It was special to me. But that will be our like big wrestling moment, and I can't wait for that. Going into this era now, I don't want to say it's like the – I don't know. I, I don't even know what they'll call this era whenever it's humans coming back into public places again. But you're the champion of this – you know, kind of transition back into normalcy. Uh, that is a massive amount of pressure, by the way. And I assume that you don't view it that way. You're like ready for it. Almost feels like this came at the perfect time. Although you had wished it was maybe ten years ago, or maybe twelve years ago, or even fifteen years ago. It feels as if now is the perfect time. You're ready for whatever could potentially happen down the road here. Yeah, well, everything I've been through has prepared me for anything. And that's what I said all along. I didn't come back to WWE to be one of the top guys. I came back to be the top guy. Nobody's been through the journey I've been through. With I started in WWE, had a lengthy run, was fired, went through so many experiences, good and bad and bad and bad outside the company. But they all trained me like to be able to face any situation. And that's what the guy needs. Nobody expected this situation to come. Uh, but it's here, and I know I'm ready to face that too and lead the company forward, and I'm very excited about the prospect. I'm very excited when we all get back together. Uh, somebody in the YouTube comments asked, how much protein do you eat a day? Do you just eat protein? All like, Is that protein water there in your cup? What do you <laughs> oh, yeah, That's just coffee. This is my superhero cup, uh, the superhero Scotsman. I don't know if you can see that. There. Oh, <laughs> start selling those. Put them on Etsy. <laughs> um but uh yeah i mean it's weird because i just eat a lot really i've got my meal prep um ready-made meals that i usually take on the road obviously i'm at home right now i eat probably three of those a day i have whatever i want for breakfast and i have like a cheat meal basically every day and i work out hard in my uh, garage gym that i've been able to fashion recently and uh, that's about it high metabolism good genetics work out hard eat a crap ton and that's the drew mcintyre way you have a cheat what meal about every the, day you with have a cheat meal your every elevated day? status 
Oh, my bad, Pat. I don't want to step on you. I think we muted each other out talking. There. I just want to ask him quick if the FBI... It's a cheat maybe- meal every day. I would, I would like to hear about a cheat meal every single day and how he looks the way he looks, AJ. Pretty I have- self-explanatory. He told you genetics and hard work. Is what he does. Yeah, but what I'm saying yeah, I mean, is- my, my cheat meals aren't the Rock's cheat meals. I'm not eating like 20 pan- stacks of pancakes or whatever. I'll have like some Mexican food and maybe a pizza or whatever. No, like, I, I want a pizza every day. <laughs> no, every, every maybe third, fourth day for pizza. All right, I respect it. Pat, if, the, if a coffee mug looked like it does in Drew's hand in your hand you could do whatever you wanted that thing uh, you look like Andre the Giant holding that little coffee <laughs> it's pretty amazing I'll take but that I wanted to know about the FBI we always know that you Freedom of Information <laughs> Act you like to when you're a young youngster you send in for some info do you think now you're the champ of the world like maybe they're going to pull back the curtain a little bit and really start to show you some of the secrets maybe that, maybe that's been my plan all along like when i realized <laughs> that i was like 11 years old and you know maybe i can't keep following these conspiracy theories because if i find out anything they might off me so i'll focus on this wrestling thing so i've been focusing on this wrestling thing for a long time now i've reached the top of the mountain so everybody out there you know i can keep a secret just let <laughs> just let old drew know what's going on and i can keep my mouth closed maybe i can i'm the champion of this world maybe i can be a champion of all worlds oh, <laughs> oh, the universe is champion I yeah i want to be we've got the universal champion on the other show you know wwe champion's cooler i want to be the actual <laughs> universe champion <laughs> um i assume monday night raw smackdown nxt is moving forward Monday, Wednesday, Friday as we go here and only heightened expectations because the Raw after WrestleMania and the SmackDown after WrestleMania and the NXT after WrestleMania weekend is normally a restart on the year. This is the yearly calendar starting in the wrestling row. Now, granted, NXT has the second half of TakeOver happening Wednesday night with a Gargano-Chompa match. That's going to be insane, I assume, every time they, they try to kill each other. But this Monday night Raw and Friday night SmackDown, it's a whole new calendar year now what should we look forward to for old drew mcintyre with this title other than being a fighting champ what are we going to go with you know i'm excited about the future it is forcing us to think outside the box and be different i think we're going to learn a lot during this period and when we come back i think we're going to apply a lot of what we learn during this period and what works like i love that boneyard match i thought it was really cool like undertaker as dirty harry essentially and i'm worried about poor carl anderson you know aj got buried but we can dig him out quick Gallows get thrown off the roof, probably two broken legs. Carl with tombstone and set on fire. Like, has anybody checked on Carl Anderson? <laughs> <laughs> that, what That's you- how Candyman started. Remember Candyman, the movie? He got set on fire. You say Carl Anderson's name in the mirror five times, he might show up. <laughs> That's his new gimmick, maybe. <laughs> hey, what, what did you think about the cinematic wrestling? Obviously, it's happened before with Hardy at the uh, Hardy compound. And Randy um, Orton and Bray Wyatt had like a burned a house thing. And Triple H has been a part of these in the past. But it really came through huge this weekend with the uh, Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse match. I, cinematic wrestling might be something that starts making a little bit more of an appearance in a way, in an attempt to kind of distract people from not having an audience. I think it played perfectly, both of them this week. Uh, I thought it was great. Like Both of those were so great. And I think we'll have similar you know, matches like that in the future, maybe especially as our big featured matches, if we do some version of a pay-per-view within this environment. For me personally, got my wheels turning, like what would Drew McIntyre fight in? If I could get like an empty bar or something, and I just tape this or like back in the day, Fit Finley and William Regal fought with cars surrounding them in a parking lot. They just beat each other up. That's the kind of thing I'd love to do. Like me and Bobby Lashley say, just beating each other up, knuckles taped up. I think that'd be pretty badass. Yeah, man, me too, dude. You just want to go out there and just 
kick the hell out of somebody in a parking lot. I am all in. I am all in, by the way. That is, Love it. How much input do you have in those types of uh, creative ideas? Yeah, I'll always, if I've got an idea, I'll always throw it out. And if I have an opinion, I'll always throw it out because in the end, you know, we want to do the best job possible. Uh, we want the best show possible. And we'll listen to the ideas that are presented to us. We'll try and work with each other to come up with the best idea possible. And if you're on the roster and you don't do that, and then you complain on social media about it and you're push, then you're the idiot. Like you, you should be thinking of creative ideas, pitching them. If it's good enough, it'll stick. You'll get the opportunity. And if you're not getting the opportunity and they're not listening, work your arse off in every other area. Get better at talking. Get more jacked. Get in the gym. Make yourself look better. If you're not jacked, get a unique character to stand out. Just whatever it is that you're lacking in, look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, am I giving it my all in every area? Am I standing out in every area? If the answer is no and you're honest with yourself, let's not complain. Like, start figuring it out, start pitching ideas. Eventually, something will stick. Look what happened with me. Bloody hell. Like, yeah, eventually, we- it worked out, and it was through hard work and people believing in me. Well, that's all, it's such a great story. And the last question I have for you, can, can you remember any ideas that you may have pitched that, looking back, weren't the best idea now that you think about it? Oh, yeah, when I was younger. Bloody hell, like- doing that first run, that was, like, the worst ever. Basically, Hardcore Holly did the same thing. I, I didn't do it as bluntly as Holly. Um, but I pitched more or less along those lines. Like, when you pitch an idea, you've got to be smart about it. Like, I wasn't when I was a kid. I basically pitched ideas that benefited me and me only. Like, generally, you want to pitch a situation where how you help yourself, you help your opponent, how it helps the product overall. So my eyes were basically, again, this is how Hardcore Holly said. I didn't say it as bluntly as this. He went to the riders and said, uh, you've got an idea, what's that? I was like, how about you make me the champ? I was like, well, how about, what's your idea? I was like, I don't know, that's your bloody job. <laughs> <laughs> So that was more or less my ideas when I was younger. I was put the title on me. How do we get in there? I'm not the writer. You figure it. <laughs> so it wasn't as bluntly as that. I used to say it when I was younger. And plus me, trust me, his language wasn't as nice as what I said there. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the champion just got done beating Brock Lesnar the other day. <sighs> From Scotland, <sighs> the Scottish Terminator, the heavyweight champion of the world, Drew McIntyre. You need to announce me. Come on to the performance center and announce me. Also, don't forget to put in mild mannered McIntyre and sexy Scotsman in there. That's on me. <laughs> By the way, I, when I did, I think I did uh, commentary on SmackDown. I think I did commentary on SmackDown. I called you the Scottish Terminator. I think yeah. it, was, it was either on that or an NXT pre-show. And I got text messages from other people in the business who were like, his nickname isn't the Scottish Terminator, <laughs> it's a Scottish Psychopath. And by the way, I watched the piece on you this weekend on WWE Network, Scottish Psychopath. You hate it. You absolutely hated that nickname. I just didn't get it because I wasn't a psychopath. I was actually pretty calculated and <laughs> I was making wise decisions. I, was like, I think the Terminator thing worked because I was really cold and calculated during my first uh, you know, part of my Raw return. So that worked, but I poked Dean Ambrose in the eye with a pencil one time. That was the one psych- psychopathic thing I did, I guess. So that's why I didn't like it, and I brought that up one time. And ever since then, I've never been called the psychopath when I mentioned. Why am I the psychopath? I don't do anything remotely psychotic. Since then, gone. <laughs> Fair play, by the way. Yeah, you're 100% right, man. If you don't want it, we don't want it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Scottish Terminator, Drew McIntyre. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Again. Yeah, hell yeah. Thanks for coming on. I'll be back. Uh, get to the job all right i like (laughs) like the terminator get it for those who don't get it yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. we get it
Just guys. I love that guy. Great. I'm telling you, I love that guy. I'm a big fan. I'm happy he's champion. He's been nothing but nice to me every time I've met him, but he is a staggering individual. I mean, he is massive. One cheat meal a day? A day? Uh, A cheat meal a day? Were you surprised or was it generally known that those were recorded and played this weekend? Oh, generally known. Very, very much known, yeah. Yeah. Could have asked him on Friday. Really could have put his feet in fire. (laughs) Friday asked him what the... And by the way, I think there was some stuff still being shot into the weekend, potentially. I think there was still some makeup stuff potentially being... I don't know. Wild, wild turn of events. Hey, the world heavyweight champ uh, likes coming on the show, I think. He seems like... I mean, he's an easy guy to root for, isn't he? Yeah. He is. I think, Wait, so when did they record all of this WrestleMania? I think it was last week. I think they recorded it last week going in. I think there was some makeup from what I've been told. Now, I could be wrong, and this isn't anybody that was at the shoot or anything like that, just people who know people that are potentially there. I think going in Friday, Saturday, they even had some re-stuff they had to shoot. So I think it was going in potentially to the weekend finalizing everything, but I think they tried to knock it all out last week. I guess that Taker AJ thing was a long shoot. I guess that took really? a long time to get done. Yeah, it was like a, they made a movie. They made a a thirty minute movie basically. As a mo- where was that shot? I don't know. Do you know? I have no idea. Somewhere down there in Orlando. I, there's so the way the performance center is set up, it's like this corner of a plaza basically, and then they add on, and then across the parking lot, there's another thing over there, and then in that area, it's in like a corporate area where I assume they could. I, I don't know. It, they could have found some space somewhere. When Randy Orton and Edge were just roaming around the facility, though, it was kind of, I was like, oh, yeah, there's a radio studio right there. There it is. Yep, I've been in there. It was kind of fun to take a trip around the place. It was, uh, I, I'm so impressed with what they did. You want to talk about uh, golf now? Yeah, some big news came out uh, about the PGA Tour, right? Yeah, so we got to remember that all this news comes after the Trump call to all the commissioners, right? So Trump Mm -hmm. calls all the commissioners this weekend, including Dana White and Vince McMahon of all the sports. And the NFL comes out and says that the Trump, uh, the president told them that September should be a good, should be good to go. Basically should be good by September. Now, nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow. I have no idea what's happening with that titty, the curve of the uh, (laughs) COVID-19 thing. We're hoping it's old titty, skinny titty, but it's it's probably going to be a nice, uh, you know, big titty, big round curve there. Handful. Handful. It's probably going to be. It's probably about a handful. Probably gonna be. We're trying to get that curve to go straight up and straight back down. You know what I mean? Flatten out a little bit and straight back down. Roll them up. Ron White says like old titty, but I think it's gonna be a big fat old titty, and it's gonna like kind of take a little bit. Nobody knows how long the backside of that titty is gonna take, though. You know what I mean? So just trying to figure it out. The commissioner's call with Trump, though, it is alleged that he said everything should be go should be good to go by September for the NFL, and then the PGA has come out and said the PGA Championship will now be August 6th through August 9th. The U.S. Open will be September 17th through September 20th, and the Masters will now be November 12th through November 15th. So that's at least a little bit of optimism coming out of the entire thing. Can't wait for those golf tournaments to happen and never watch them because they're on the same time as football. So you're not going to watch any of it? Nah. I, I can understand not watching the PGA or even the U.S. Open that much, but the Masters, I would think you're at least going to check it out, aren't you? Maybe we'll see what time that four. We'll see what's on that four o'clock game. I mean, I mean that four o'clock game will probably be the Cowboys by November. Who knows, right? With the Cowboys, they could either be or. By the way, McCarthy wins the Super Bowl in that stadium. Now he's back in there. That's probably going to be a part of his message to the team, I'd assume, at some point during training camp. You know, the last time I was down here, 
won Super Bowl. And that's what we're going to do with this team. You know, we're going to win Super Bowl down here. But the um, that would be a 4 o'clock game, obviously. And then whatever the Sunday night football game is, depending upon. And also, is Tiger in the lead? Like, is Tiger in the lead of the Masters? I'll flip over if Tiger's in the lead. Brooks Kepka, maybe I'll flip over. But aside from that, you're right in the middle of my football season, pal. I, I do not know what to tell you. I honestly don't know what. And I think, by the way, I think old golf's about to be in for a rude awakening. I, I think they're about to learn very quickly about where they are in the pecking order. But I am happy that they are postponing as opposed to just canceling because I can understand that there's some people out there that love just taking naps while these guys golf in the background. <laughs> well, it definitely gives some hope. But people love the Masters because it usually happens when there's nothing really else going on. So I think Thursday, Friday, the first two rounds, They'll, they'll still have a ton of people tuning in oh, Saturday yeah, yeah, and Sunday that will dwindle. Because think of all the huge college football games that will be played on Saturday. So you'll see a bunch of people going back and forth. People, I guess, that aren't as fortunate to have a warehouse with a wall with 13 TVs like you have. But you could keep an eye on every single thing happening at one time. Kind of unnecessary, I thought. Yeah. I'm saying you're set up for it. You're set up for this kind of situation with multiple great events. Yeah. You're right. I, I mean, I am. That's I try to watch every NFL game that's happening. That's not a shot. I'm not uh, taking a shot at you. Tone, I kind of wow. sound, kind of the tone, tone sounds much better. The tone. What does the tone oh, tell you? Oh, you know. Like you're a shot. Tone, yeah, you like, know. I'm not, I'm not as rich as you. I don't have 13 TVs in a warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it sounds like. You nailed it. You got a perfect impression of me. <laughs> you want me to keep going? Yeah. Please. Well, when I played against Brady Quinn, my wife wore a jersey that was halfway. <laughs> I talked to Pistol and told Chopper Bopper that we were going to, you know. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. You could, yeah. you could fool a lot of people with that. If you could call my family right now and you could fool them all. Hey, Chopper Bopper, this is AJ Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> that's how, that's how I, I intro myself, my full name, every time I call my family. I'll watch hockey, or I'll watch, Smart. I won't, I'll watch yeah. golf yep. Thursday, Friday, though. That was a good call right there. I'm actually happy these are happening because Thursday, Friday can kind of carry us into the weekend. And then obviously Saturday, college football, we got big games, going to have to do what I'm going to have to do. And then Sunday, I mean, the best thing about the Masters is the Masters nap. When you watch the first couple holes of the leader and then you take a nap and you wake up and he's on hole 14 or 15 and he's still in contention. It's like, here we go. This is what I came to Masters weekend for. The birds are chirping. Jim Nance is doing his shit. You know, that golf course that doesn't really let anybody in, but they charge $1 for Pepsis and stuff like that. That's the entire Masters to me is that nap. And now can't do it because we got the greatest league on earth playing. Yeah, I guess the question will be, what are people's primary screen? What's it going to be playing? Because people now will watch them on their phone. They'll have their, their laptop open and then maybe a TV. People that are really invested into all of these different sports. Now, when they're happening at the same time, what gets your primary attention? I guess, are you going to have the Masters on mute? Are you going to have the game, the volume of the game? If it's the Cowboys, if you like them up, like what are you going to listen to? Golf conversation moves zero needles. Yeah, you're right. I mean, except for in the golf world, I guess. I guess golf people love talking about golf. But I think golf people are ultimately football guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. You know, I think golf people mm-hmm. are football guys. I think if you – I don't know. I'm happy it's happening. These are going to be loaded weekends with a lot of things for us to talk about on Monday or whatever. But I like the Masters, and I'm obviously <laughs> – I'm upset with the way COVID-19 <laughs> has made them reschedule. And, you know, November – Daylight savings time, it's going to get dark at like 5, 5.15. Like, they're going to have to be done early for Masters. And I'm sure you guys might know more than me. Like, what's weird about Augusta and the course there, I always was told after the Masters happens, the course kind of shuts down for the rest of the year. The azaleas disappear, AJ. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. so they're going to be playing Shoot in November. Are we going to get to see all the, the beauty that is no. Augusta? No, there won't even be birds because the birds have already taken off to Florida. Yeah. There'll be fall beauty, though. No. Foliage. Can't doubt the foliage. They can pipe all that in. They can they can make it look as close to it does in April. I'm sure they can make some tricks happen. I There was one conversation at the beginning of this wrestling time with no fans. People were wondering if they should pipe in audience reaction sound. With no humans, no humans at all, piping in sound. Now, what Zito just referred to was the Falcons Falcons were piping in noise whenever there was humans there that weren't loud enough. (laughs) With the WWE, there's zero humans, and you can see blank spaces around there if they were to pipe in sound i think that would have very much mickey mouse their product even more so and whoever was pitching that should stop talking about things for the foreseeable future honestly well, didn't you think so when the, the little bit of wrestlemania i watched like say when drew mcintyre is wrestling hey why'd you have to you, take a shot at him by the way you're like my seven-year-old six-year-old yeah, wanted dude. to watch wrestlemania i, I, I wasn't I taking a shot it was your tone it was your, hey, Bopper, this is AJ Hawk. It was your town. I didn't want to okay. watch, but my seven-year-old did. I had a four-year-old who doesn't know how the world works, wanted to watch WrestleMania. That's what you said to the world champion, Drew McIntyre. I didn't think of it that way, but my son as well. I should have said, so my son is very excited to watch you wrestle as as I was, too. That's why we tuned in to both, both shows, Saturday and Sunday. But when, like, say he wins, I thought maybe almost like this show, how you guys – that you know, everyone chants with you, or millions and millions. They clap when we introduce when you introduce people. I thought maybe the people on hand, maybe eight or ten people there, were going to start clapping for him. Did, would would that have Mickey Mouse the operation? No, I. Th- and by the way, they probably did that back in Gorilla, right? The first time winning the world championship. Whenever you walk back behind the curtain, there's a, a place called Gorilla where Gorilla Monsoon used to hang out and direct the show, right? There's a there's a, that's where Vince McMahon is. That's where Triple H is. That's where all the heavy hitters are. They're right on the other side there, cutting cameras, talking to people, the ref, everything like that, right? So that's a massive place, Gorilla. It's where you go before you go out, and it's where you come back through. And whenever people win their first championship, whenever they come back through, there's normally a massive celebration in there, right? Congratulations. It's a big moment. There's cameras for the Chronicle or the 24 series on WWE Network and everything like that. I thought there was a chance they could have had that come out front and did it because whenever they had the 24-7 run, they had like 12 people on one area. I thought they had like a rule. I didn't know they had that many people in the building, to be honest, because I was told by Triple H that they were coming in waves. Hey, if you're part of this match, you're coming at this time so they could keep the numbers down. When that 24-7 thing happened, there was like 12 guys down there. I was like, oh, they could have had those guys maybe out there clapping or a lumberjack match or something like that. They've obviously just chosen not to do so. Is the WWE getting a bunch of heat for putting this on, even without fans? Like, are people still upset that it's happening? Kevin McGrand, maybe that guy from Canada. <laughs> oh, your guy, yeah, yes, your, your yes. Twitter, your Twitter buddy. Fuck that guy. Yeah, you got him, huh? Has he has he responded yet? He, yeah, I kind of backpedaled, but I want to let you know I didn't let my foot off the fucking gas. Want to let you know, I was stepping on those toes while he was backpedaling. I was stepping on those toes. He was backpedaling. I was running my route right on top of him. I could see the whites of his eyes, and I'm still pushing. Still still forging ahead, pal. Pal. All right, pal. Maybe Kevin will call into the show one day. Nah, fuck that guy. Yeah. No, maybe Kevin won't. What about what about the, the crew? Did all the boys watch WrestleMania? I think so. There was re- By the way, I think a lot of people who have never watched wrestling before watch WrestleMania because there's nothing else to watch at this point. I have beat the game on Netflix. 
I've beat the game on Hulu, and I have no idea what I'm paying for cable. Their channels suck. There is nothing on to watch right now. So I think that's why everybody is watching WrestleMania, right? Am I right? You yeah. all watch yeah. it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're right. I don't. I, I just didn't see a lot of pub for WrestleMania, like just in normal media. Like, did you see them pubbing WrestleMania all over the place? You don't do the internet much, right? I, I mean, I yeah, I'm on the internet. I stay uh, aware. But I don't. I'm not on there for hours and hours a day. I think they had 14 of the top 15 trends last night on Twitter. Well, yeah, last night I'm saying the lead up to WrestleMania. Oh yeah, the hype was not as big because I don't think there was as many shows to hype it up, right? I think there was only a certain amount of shows doing their thing. Now, granted, I think Triple H, Drew McIntyre, and others last week were very busy FaceTiming and promoting, whether it's local markets or whatever. So I think they tried their best, but I think it was just the way the media cycle was. And, and the thing about nowadays, though, things don't need a lot of hype. As soon as they get on there, if other people are talking about it, everybody catches fire. That's why the surprise album drops out of nowhere always work. They seem to always work. There's a lot of bums probably with no self-awareness who don't have a big enough following who do that, and it doesn't work. But if you're big and you drop an album out of nowhere, it's going to work. If you're Netflix and you drop a big documentary out of nowhere, it's going to work. It felt like WrestleMania was more like that as opposed to years past where it takes over every conversation. And to be honest, it might have been a more organic and better way to do it. I, I think it not being shoved down people's throat almost gave them a little bit more of an appetite to be like, all right, there isn't shit else on. I used to watch this when I was a kid. Let me check out what's going on. And then they see Undertaker and AJ Styles in the middle of a boneyard match. And they're like, what the fuck just happened? And they're like, oh, wait, it's back tomorrow with Rob Gronkowski. I have to tune in. That's what a lot of people were saying. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's weird when that's the one like live sport. It, it, is it considered a sport or entertainment? Well, it was once considered a sport. And then, then you didn't want to be sued. So you got to switch to entertainment, right? And then... Uh, then uh what chris benoit oh god is that what made him that, switch that to entertainment really yeah. yeah oh i didn't know that that's yeah. a terrible situation i didn't i wasn't sure why it switched to entertainment from it kind of it, it kind of yeah a lot of things had to change rather quickly there okay hmm. all right well then I, that's good oh. that's good to know I, did, I had no idea why it ever changed well and obviously the panda of w the world wildlife foundation came after their ass shortly there i mean there was just a lot going on there and they you know kayfabe kayfabe did no longer be was a thing they had to Bobby. do that let's go into the um you want to go into the youtube comment section yeah all right let's um every once in a while we like to dive deep into the annals of the internet into the youtube comment section a place that everybody talks about being a great spot and do some YouTube question. <laughs> YouTube question. Zito, take it away, pal. Uh, yes, sir. Purdy Mouth Productions had a good question, but I'm going to alter a little bit. He basically said, do you think the events will have fans there? But, like, how would you guys play without any fans? Like, would that affect you guys if you guys are on, the, uh, like, football field? You know, when I was young, maybe. That, that's a real thing. I wasn't a good practicer whenever I was younger. I didn't fully understand reps. 
I fully didn't understand why practice was so important. I fully didn't understand that if you're great in practice, you're probably going to be great in the game as well just because of the way your mind and your body will react. I used to think I could just turn it on and turn it off. In all sports, I used to think that, and I was wrong. And then towards the end of my career there, whenever I got good and you know, ultimately got robbed by the NFL for being punter of the decade, pro football focus obviously named it there. But for the four, five, six, five years out of my eight years, I learned that everything is inside your head. Every punt that I would take in practice was might as well have been backed up with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. And I feel like once you go on the field, nothing else mattered to me other than me and the ball. And I got to that point through a lot of reps, a lot of mental work, and to be honest, a lot of failures before I could get there. And then when I got to that point, it was a whole new ball game for me. So I think if there was zero people, I know a lot of people say this, if there was zero people there, if there was 700,000 people there, if there was 20 people there, for me, it was just me and the ball the end of my career and that's ultimately what made me become the best version of me how would it work for somebody who has to bang their head on other humans on a regular basis i think eventually it would be fine i think early on it may be a bit weird and it's something mike mccarthy used to always say especially away games if we're playing somewhere where it wasn't going to be like a raucous environment where they they weren't known to sell the stadium out like he'd say yeah it's going to be terrible there tomorrow trust me the first half there's gonna be no one there there's gonna be no juice in the stadium I don't care. We'll roll the ball out in the parking lot. We'll play these guys anywhere. Like, that's the kind of thing he would say. And I think eventually you would get to that mindset where after a game or two, it would just be your new normal. It'd be weird. It would feel like a scrimmage. Like, when in college, did you ever go into your your stadium and have, like, a scrimmage the first Saturday of training camp? That was what Terrible. we did at Ohio State. Always felt like a big deal. But it was really weird being in this big stadium with nobody in the stands. Like, you only have those guys on the sideline who you're with. Well, and also the echoing throughout the stadium with the whistle and the yelling, it just makes it feel as if it's only practice. It just has the feeling of practice. So once you can get past that and really be like, hey, this matters, this is a big deal, I think guys will be able to adjust. But I do think it will be a little bit of a learning curve early. What you mentioned there about Mike McCarthy telling you about no juice in a stadium is so interesting. Because you hear about people talking about how stadiums are going to be wild. They play the loud music. Like, hey, when you play the Steelers, every single practice at some point you're going to hear, Oh, mama, I'm in fear from my life from the long arm of the law. Oh, and it's turning into my running and I'm so far from my home. You hear about these places. You go to Baltimore. Wrong one, but yes, 100%. And then, you know, New England. This is our house. All the time. By the way, I've heard that too much in my life, just like I've heard the Renegade song too much in my life and the Seven Nation Army White Stripes. But you hear about preparing for that. You, you rarely hear people talk about how when you're going into a place that is shitty, a place that is very quiet, that you have to prep for that too because a lot of guys feed off of the energy of the stadium. They feed off of it. And whenever you know you're going into a dud of a place, it can be a little bit of a mental challenge for some folks. Oh, it's a huge mental challenge. And I think coaches are aware of it. They know going in and they are primed and ready 
to be pissed off in warm-ups and make you bang oh, yeah. skulls in warm-ups because we're not focused. We're we're not dialed in. What are we doing here? And then they then all of a sudden you ratchet it up and you're you're tackling guys to the ground in warm-ups going ones on ones. Like that happens in warm-ups sometimes on the road in terrible atmosphere. You think we're just gonna be able to roll the ball in the field and get a win today? Huh? Is that what you think? <laughs> Yep. That those when you so you go out, you warm up as a team, you come back in the locker room for like fifteen minutes, do the little prayer and everything. Usually on those like those stadiums that don't have a bunch of juice, a hundred percent of the times your head coach is gonna be killing the whole team oh. when you come back in right before you go out to run out to start the game. Like and say like it's it's your guys' fault. We, we told you this was gonna be this way. You guys like you said, you just gonna roll your helmet out there and think you're gonna get a win, it's the NFL. Those boys are going to steamroll you right out of this fucking stadium. You don't pick it up. I can look in everybody's eyes. There's not enough energy in this locker room. Right? It's like, yo, the so stadium true. is empty out there. What do you want from us? Like, what do you want us to do, coach? Like, how are we going to bring juice? There's nobody here. Like, don't blame us for that. Our warm-ups still look the same. Hey, coach, next time we play here, I'll have my family here early for play. Don't <laughs> <laughs> try my best. Uh, what else do we have to talk about? Um, Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady are going to take on Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning. Tiger and Peyton, really good friends. I'm not 100% sure of the camaraderie level of Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady. I'd assume they get along. Whenever you're up there in those elites, I assume you all hang out at different places. You do cocktail events, shrimp cocktail events. You microdose yourself so you can eat those types of things. You hang out amongst each other. I would assume that's on a very regular basis. I think everybody on earth feels as if Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning would blow the doors off of Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady, oh, yeah. and I don't think there's anybody that disagrees with that. I happen to be on that team, and by the way, I think Adam Payton and Tom would make it a much more entertaining thing as opposed to the dud fest that they put out before to make an alternating shot. Let Payton start talking a little bit of shit if he can. He might be so dialed in, though, he won't say anything. That's what I get worried about with these ultra-competitive guys. Whenever they're playing, right, they're so – Tom Brady maybe will talk. Maybe Tom will talk, mm. but in golf, you have to be so focused. I'm not sure the amount of shit talk that you can have in between shots, especially if there's a lot of money on the line or a lot of people watching. So maybe you bring in some good entertaining commentators and make this thing really worthwhile. Charles Barkley, yeah, they're talking about Charles commentating this event. That should be great. <laughs> and then oh, you on the sidelines. You're nah. going to be the David Faraday walking with the group. Nah. I mean, I would, by the way. Just want to let you know that. I would do that. So is this happening, though? I know it's been rumored. Is there anything put in place? Dude, I have no idea. They're, they're doing a Masters in November, dude. <laughs> the PGA has to uh, approve it, which hasn't Why? happened. This is kind of like Dana White having to approve Connor fighting um, Floyd. Oh, yeah. yeah. In the boxing match. I guess the PGA would be stupid not to green light this, though. What, like, what's it going to hurt? It's only going to help the game of golf. PGA's no, that's uh, US, the United States USGA, golf. USGA, yeah. by the PGA has made smart decision. USGA, uh, now, now, by the way, there's a whole new group of humans there, a new generation of executives and stuff there. But for a long time, the USGA has been known to be a bunch of stooges and sellouts. They have been, but they have a new generation in there. Hopefully, PGA will do the same. I would love to watch this. I would spend whatever they charge me to watch this. I would. I, I just would enjoy it. And uh, by the way, I think, I think Peyton and Tiger probably win by 10 shots. But is there going to be any kind of handicap situation? Like, is Peyton that much better of a golfer than Tom Brady? The do, handicap do you know? is you have Phil Mickelson instead of Tiger Woods. <laughs> yeah, but Phil beat Tiger in their first head-to-head matchup. Touche. Touche. Tom has custom clubs. It was on an episode of Entourage. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I remember that. Mm -hmm. So, something to think about. Drama, I just wonder if – hopefully True. there's no, like, they don't add handicaps to it. Whenever you put handicaps – 
like on Tom and, and Peyton, I think it, I don't know, it just takes away from it. If they can find a way to just be shot for shot, if they do alternating shot, that would be amazing. Amazing. It would be, that would be incredible. Just think about Peyton hitting some shank late <laughs> and Tiger just getting so pissed off. Or on the flip side, imagine Tiger hitting a shank late and Peyton just giving oh. him a fucking, <laughs> are you kidding? Are you? Hey, bub the fuck are you doing there and then let alone if phil mickelson tries for one of those overhead flops and hits himself in the face tom brady might go with what that let's fucking go punch right to his suckle <laughs> you know what i mean i mean this could get good this could get good and i am looking forward to it for sure uh, if, phil, if phil flops a shot into his own face then yes the, the broadcast will be a success i think <laughs> That's all we're looking for. We're just looking for one of those moments. I, I, honestly, I think that's all they should be looking for. In this internet world, you get one or two magical moments out of something, you should feel great about it. For instance, our golf thing down at Golf last year, Tim Tebow, with the best Jesus Christ joke I've ever heard in my entire life, nailed it, went big, nothing else we could have done. We might as well just shut, shut down the entire shop after that, but we had to act like we still wanted to do the whole thing, and we did, and we did ultimately. We did. Uh, Dana White shoots down the rumors that him and Vladimir Putin had a deal to move Khabib back to America for the fight. Uh, vehemently. Is that a word? Yeah. yeah. Vehemently. Vehemently? Vehemently. Vehemently shuts down. Apparently, he <laughs> shut down the story that he and Vladimir Putin had a relationship to talk about Khabib. And I think this is a smart move by Dana, by the way. You never want to publicly be linked to Vladimir Putin, I don't think. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'd say that's a safe bet to to be on that side of it. But they have what UFC 249 coming up on April 18th. They say is still on, even though Khabib is out of it. Justin Gaethje's looking to step in uh, to fight Tony Ferguson. They still don't have a venue. Like you don't have a venue this far out. It's April 6th. The fight's supposed to be the 18th. How in the world can you put this together still? No idea. I think Dana White's working. You know, real G's move in silence like lasagna, and Dana White has been proving that he is a real G. He said he's not doing any media before any of these fights. He's just going to basically let them drop like an album out of nowhere. He, he said he was tired of answering questions. He thinks a lot of media is turning against him, by the way. He's getting into an interesting turning heel with the media thing, which I enjoy, by the way. I am a big fan of it, only using a couple people that he respects and likes as his outlet, because he can do whatever he wants, by the way. He's the Vince McMahon of uh, fighting at this point. I think these fights are just going to happen with not a lot of fanfare just like wrestlemania and you're just going to kind of see it happen and I'm, I'm here for it to be honest with you i like anything that can distract the monotony of the day-to-day of this covid19 quarantine and i'll tell you what two humans going in there and cockfighting would do it for me i don't know who the hell they are you don't know who they yeah well first off khabib and tony ferguson this is like the fifth time they tried to make this fight happen and now khabib is what back in russia he's not going to be able to take part like it's a it's like a cursed matchup these two the matchup is amazing for people that watch MMA and the UFC, but Justin oh, Gaethje, I don't know if you don't know anything about Justin Gaethje, <laughs> just watch YouTube a little later today. Justin Gaethje's the most like exciting, ballsy, dangerous fighter out. Like he just stands and bangs with every single person he fights. Oh, you want to hang and bang, cuz? You want to hang yeah. and bang? He's, like, he's a wrestler. He's a college wrestler, and he never wrestles. He's like Chris Lytle. Yeah, he, he never wrestles. That's what's amazing. Like he, he's like, all right, hey. You're gonna, you may beat me, you may knock me out, but you're gonna, you're gonna eat about 150 shots to the head. Chris Lytle is our guy, only guy in documented UFC history to be in over 30 fights, never knocked out, never submitted. I think he's here. No, he's no, not. He's not. He wasn't. He was. He stopped by a couple weeks ago. I wish he would have. I wish I thought he Matt Mitrione was your guy. They're at same oh, yeah. camp. 
Sam Camp here in Indianapolis. We got some tough dudes here in Indianapolis. And if you accidentally roll up into the basement of a house in the middle of the hood in Indianapolis that has no windows and has a bunch of wrestling mats in it, you can get your shit broke nine times in one minute like <laughs> Pat McAfee. Did you do that, really? Oh, yeah. I went and rolled with Matt Matrione. It was, it was brilliant. He was getting ready to fight a human, uh, and I was just in there trying to lose some weight, and we did a rolling sesh for a minute, you know, a minute around. I tapped he's out. He's a lot bigger than you, and he's a professional. Of course you're going to get it dominated. I did, yep. I did. <laughs> Six tap outs in one minute. Six tap outs, one minute. He put me in a double arm breaker at one point. Both of my arms were being broke. So you just had to verbally tap? Yeah, yeah. I was like, my foot, I started like kicking. I, I forget the exact thing. It was unbelievable. They're so smart. He would like, he would do something. It's like, it really is like chess. I'm a checkers player. Everybody knows I'm a checkers player. What is in front of me? Let me jump over you. King me, bitch. Let me move forward and then come right back. Chess, you got to think four moves ahead. So whenever you're like tangling up, and by the way, I had no idea what I was doing. So, I mean, there was some wrestling matches I think I won in the house with my brother. And I think I know leverage pretty well. But when it comes to those dudes, you know, not, and Matreon, by the way, not that big of a wrestler. He just knows more about jujitsu than I do. He was setting me up. He would like finger me in like the side of my rib cage and I would move like this and then bang, he grabbed my neck. Like he was like, I would do this and I would move and then he would expect me to not move. And then he would hit me with another one. It's like bang, 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 broken arms. It's like, I, I didn't know what to do. I know I came out of there with seven bruises. And six tap outs in one minute. I was like, well, I'm never coming back here again. That's for sure. What am I getting? A ringworm too? I mean, how do I get the hell out of here? But I will watch every single MMA fight that comes out. I watch them all. Even if I don't know who they are, I watch them. Just because that mindset of being able to walk into a cage, two men enter, two ladies enter, one man, one lady leaves. That is just something I don't have, and I have the utmost respect for it. But I don't follow along. I mean, there's so many. I don't know how to pronounce most of their names. I don't know what's going on. I just know that they're the ones with the big gut sack that get in a cage and cockfight. Yeah, I agree. I'm with you. I, would, I, I can't imagine doing that. Going out there and fighting in your underwear, shirtless, locking the cage behind you. Yeah. I, I mean, Mitch Rillen's bigger than you. Like, <laughs> the you. funny thing is you, you go roll with any guy that has any kind of jiu-jitsu background he could be much smaller than you and he's still going to dominate us <laughs> i mean i don't know what i don't know what you're doing here with like these is this he's, wrestling he's bro, shooting that was a shoot bro. shoot shoot shoot, 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 Good shot. Good well, shot. shoot, the, shoot the leg single leg ever heard of is this like oh, a, a, a legit wrestling shoot or is this oh, like a wwe oh, 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 oh. Oh. what dude double shoot what dude keep going keep going i want you to come back in the mic oh, Let me wobble back to me corner. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. You, I would have definitely tapped that. You're right. I wouldn't mess with you. Whoa! You're so sudden. You know, like little slot receivers are sudden. That's what I think when I watch you move. I'm pretty winded, too. <laughs> yeah, no, that's why I want you to keep going for another minute or two. <laughs> Turns out this microphone, quite a fucking battle. Uh, Good single leg, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> My aggro crack fell earlier today whenever I was trying to get a little wild on somebody. Oh, it was uh, Mitchell Schwartz. You were uh, pass setting. <laughs> By the oh, way. Oh, you were pass setting earlier this morning? Oh, if you ever saw my pass set, you would choose to go the other way, pal. <laughs> you were pass setting with somebody else, Damian Woody. Is that right? Mm -hmm. I got a good pass. I used to do pass sets in public. That used to be my thing. I would just be walking around the street with like my boys or whatever. It would be like me and AQ walking through something. And I'd spot a guy. I was like, oh, he got no fucking chance. I'll just... 
in front of them for like a half mile almost. They were like, get the fuck out of my face. I'm like, you got it. I would love, did anyone ever challenge you and try to give you a little bull rush? Oh, yeah. Some guy tried to hit a spin move on me, and I had to give him the fire out the door. I had to kick him Look out of the you. Look at you. Hands inside, thumbs up. Look at you, man. You know what you're doing. Thank you. Whew. Tough one. You regroup. You got to regroup from that. Bring it together. Let's do YouTube question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else we should talk about? Yeah. You know, Matt Mitrione, has, it's M-I-T. You say, I think you pronounce it like there's an A in there. Yeah, it's Matt Matrione. Yeah, Matt Matrione, exactly. Yeah, it's Matt Matrione. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bill O'Brien, uh, general manager of the Houston Texans, Stooge. <laughs> he said on the Hopkins trade, he had three years left on his deal, and he wanted a raise, and we couldn't go that direction. We felt like we had an excellent deal from Arizona, so we pulled the trigger. Well, if you have him on a contract for three years. You don't have to give him a raise. <laughs> that's, that's the funny thing about Every, that. Let me, can I, let me educate Bill O'Brien. Every player on the team wants a raise. No matter what your contract is, everyone would love to get a raise, no matter who you are. So, yeah, if he, if he, when I read that comment, I'm like, wait, he was under contract for three more years. It wasn't like he was coming up that year and we couldn't hold on to him. You had him under contract for three more seasons. If he wanted a raise, he's not going – like DeAndre Hopkins also doesn't seem like the type of guy to sit out and hold out and miss games or anything because he wants a raise. So – and you watch how Hopkins handled it, too. He handled it with all class afterwards, too. He doesn't seem like a guy that would be an issue if he really did want to raise that back. No, I mean, and Hopkins seems to be a quiet guy. I, I mean, it, it's we might have this all wrong, you know, and it feels like Billy O just hated the guy. At one point, it came out that there was a, a potential leadership struggle in the locker room between D-Hop and Billy O Stooge, like who was leading it. I mean, it was just – it's such an interesting thing. And for this to be – I don't know how Bill O'Brien has a gig still. And he has a bigger gig than most. Mike Tomlin, right, was coaching uh, Steelers in that Packers game you played in just yesterday on Fox 59. Yeah. That guy doesn't have roster control, you know? He's been to the Super Bowls. He's been a guy that's beloved by his locker room, by his team. Now, granted, the city's kind of turned on him because they're expecting a little bit more championships. But in my eyes, Mike Tomlin is like one of the pinnacles of coaching in football. I mean, he has been a long time around He's a winner. He doesn't even have control of the roster. I mean, there's only certain people that have it. The fact that Billy O has figured out a way to Joe Exotic, Jeff Love, Jeff Lowe himself into this position of control is just wild to me. There's nobody checking that guy. That guy can do whatever he wants. There's nobody checking him. Yeah, what is – maybe he thinks he knows something we don't want to know. We don't know, but there's a lot of coaches, I think, in the NFL – well, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. You could, I would like to ask you. Do you think all coaches want to be the GM as well? Yeah. No. I don't think so. I think they want some control over the roster. and They want to be able to, like, Say. they want their input to be heard. Yes. yes. But they to be a GM, obviously, is more than a full-time job. To be a head coach is like having seven full-time jobs at once. There's so much going on, so many hours you have to put in. Doing both of them seems very overwhelming to me. And there's a lot, like Bill, Bill Belichick, he can do it. There's certain special people that can handle it. And there's others that I think it's just too much for him. I like to think back to when Ninkovich told us that if Bill Belichick knew he was having a conversation with you and it was potentially going to be about a contract, like he was preparing for that conversation as if it was the Super Bowl. Like, so when you walked in there to negotiate your contract, he has everything you've done stat-wise, the reason why he doesn't think you're worth as much as you potentially. And he just – he verbally joust you into 
the oblivion where you're accepting terrible contracts and understanding that this is good for everybody. I'm getting out of there. I wonder if Bill O'Brien thought he could just do the same thing. You know, like, all right, when, when DeAndre Hopkins comes in here and he wants a raise, let me tell him about this drop ball he had 17 weeks ago. <laughs> and he, he walks in there and DeAndre's like, you know, I'm seeing other wide receivers get paid. I understand I got three years left. Maybe we re- you know, redo this thing, put a little bit more money up front, I'll be happy. And like, you remember when you dropped the ball two years ago? Hmm? You remember that, you motherfucker? You want some more money? And DeAndre Hopkins is like, what are you talking about? Get me out of here. He's like, I will get you out of here. I'll fucking make you leave tomorrow. And he, like, loses his cool. And then, bang, somebody calls, like, we'll give you a bag of balls for DeAndre. He's like, deal, get him the fuck out of here. And then somebody who's, like, in his close circle is like, hey, next time you have a conversation with a player, we just got to relax a little bit. Like, maybe we can't just trade them away because they're not happy with what you're saying. I think this is going to be a little bit of a learning curve for Bill O'Brien on how the business works. I think he got absolutely fleeced in that deal. And the fact that he thinks that's a good deal still is insane to me. It's absolutely insane. Well, if you're saying he's going to have to learn here, the problem is like he doesn't have a whole lot of time left to learn. Like, do you think if they, if they don't make a deep run in the playoffs, is he still going to be around next year? Uh, Kristen Cavallari and Jay Cutler have been stuck in the Bahamas with her hairstylist for 22 days. <laughs> I uh, just posted another photo of them drunk in the water. It's true. Are there are there kids there with them? Yes. Okay. They're, so they're st- they can't get out if they wanted to. I'm not sure. That, I don't know. It looks like Jay Cutler's been having the time of his life. I mean, have <laughs> really? you seen if Jay had Instagram? He just posts photos of him pissing in the water down there in uh, turquoise waterland. That, as Evan Foxy would call it, it's a good place. The Bahamas, that's the turquoise waterland? Yeah, the Caribbean is called turquoise waterland in Evan Foxy's eyes because he went to Michigan State, and Michigan State's only known for a couple of things. Go green. That's uh, true. Uh-oh. What, what's the, what is Michigan State known for? Foxy? Uh-oh. Oh, AJ. AJ. We're past that, all right? Let's, let's talk about football. Great basketball team. Yeah, well, their coach. Yeah, football basketball. team solid. Mel Some Tucker took over. A couple of legends out there. Yeah, Magic Johnson. Larry Nassar Draymond was a great guy. Whoa, tie. <laughs> tie. <laughs> It all begins and ends with that thing Ty just slipped yeah. in there. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's a rough one. <laughs> Ohio State, though, is no uh, spring Yeah, there's, a, there's a, yeah, a doctor there that I think he killed himself, I don't know how many years ago, but oh. yeah, was doing weird things with a bunch of wrestlers and different athletes, and they've come out. And yeah, I don't know how much is, I don't know how much farther it's going to go or how many people are going to come out, but yeah, brutal situation on, on many di- multiple different schools, too. Like, if, if we know of these schools, how many other places was this happening? I wonder. There's just creeps everywhere, I think. I, yeah. I, I think there's just creeps everywhere that you would never, ever. I mean, I was in the VIP went hanging with Jared Fogle. Ten years back, bottle Where? popping. Right here in Indiana on Tuesday night. That probably should have been the first sign of trouble with Jared Fogle. <laughs> and Wait, me, VIP bro. where? Uh, it was a place called, uh, what was that, Lobster? What's Rock the, Lobster. Rock Lobster, oh, VIP, spot. no big deal. <laughs> Like at a bar? Like, did you talk to him? He was in the VIP booth next to me. It was a Tuesday night. That was the place. Yeah. <laughs> did you get any kind of uh, like weird vibe from him? That's yeah, the- of course I did. It was just- like what kind of weird vibe? I, I was like, why is the subway guy? Like, why am I here? First of all, first of all, why am I here? It was because I was just going out every night of the week, and there was a different crew for every night of the week or whatever. I was kind of confused by me. But then when I got summoned. <laughs> When I got summoned to a table in the back and I saw a fucking subway guy, I was very mind blown. Uh, I think we might have done a shot together. And he said, I'm a big fan or whatever. I was like, I, I like sandwiches too, man. And I like, <laughs> gave him a shot and I walked away. And then, 
Lo and behold, was he, so did he live in Indy? Is that that house that I watched when they raided it? That's around Indy. Yeah, that's that was right by a lot of my teammates that chose to live up there with all the yuppies. It, it's right in the area there. The helicopters were a buzzing, the boys were buzzing up there. Around yeah, and his wife was completely taken like she had no idea. I guess that is something you could probably hide from his wife, huh? Yeah. Uh, is it, AJ? Uh, it so seems long. like I know she divorced him right away, I think. is he How, how much longer is he in jail? Forever. I think he's probably in there forever. Yeah, forever should be. Him and Joe Exotic are just getting after No, him. I mean, I think he got 20 years or something. <laughs> I mean. Had to be more. He'll be dead. No, he's out in that, like, uh, the one where they wear, uh, it's where all of the, the terrible, that they have like a pedophile jail, I think, that he's at. Oh, they do? Yeah, in I, I in Indiana somewhere? No, it's out in like Colorado or something like that. Hmm. Well, there's the Supermax in Colorado. I don't think he's there like with the Unabomber and terrorist. He, his, his sentence was 15 years. That's Ooh. it? Jesus. It says New York City. I don't know if that's actually in New York City. He's on Rikers? Uh-oh. Was no, he around He'd get killed Epstein? at Rikers in a heartbeat. I don't know if folk going Epstein or boys. I just... Uh, I do they all link up? I don't know. Are they all kind of like that? All the people... like. Nasser, Fogel, Epstein, are they all just hanging out? Dusky. Hey, how know. do these people, how does it happen? Like, when does it happen? When they're kids, they always, like, is it a, is it a, a like, I watched a lot of Dahmer stuff there. That happened when he was a kid. Like, he was going to be that person no matter what. There was no, I don't think, I mean, granted, there was a choice probably not to kill people and eat them, but the, all the stuff I watched on Dahmer, he was like a freak since he was a child. I wonder if. All these dudes were like that since they were kids. Writing was on the wall. Probably. I'm sure if you if they go back and you like yeah. examine all what they were like as a kid, yeah, maybe there was little signs here and there that like, hey, something is just off. Like something's different about whatever's going on with this guy. Fogel was only in jail for 15 years. He's probably what five years under that at this point. Yeah, 2000 August 19th, 2015, uh, and he's in Inglewood, Colorado. Yeah, dude, that's well, the, he didn't he like <clears throat> what did he, I don't know what exactly he got charged with. I know he had a ton of like underage uh, kid porn, but did he ever he uh, did he ever like act on it with kids? He pled guilty in a federal court to possessing child pornography and traveling to pay for sex with minors. Yeah. I oh gosh, I didn't know he was traveling to pay <laughs> for sex. The earliest with minors. he could be released is July 11th. How does he only get 15 years? Birthday. I don't know. Got that subway money. It's got uh, it's uh, it's unbelievable. Now, granted. I used to enjoy a great Subway sandwich before they got too big and their meat went to shit, but it's hard to put a sandwich in my mouth knowing that they were associated with the fat guy who was wearing, what, 75 pants? Mm -hmm. And then went down to smalls just because he was eating sandwiches. And now that we know a little bit more about dieting, there's no way he was eating that much bread and losing that much weight. Yeah, no I, I seemed like I yeah. was lied to. Who do you think has a tougher time transitioning back into society, Jared Fogle or Takashi 6 9 Takashi needs to immediately become a white woman. <laughs> Fogel looks like a lot of people. Takashi does not. Well, I'm saying he's going to have to get a surgery. Uh -huh. Like he's going to have to get like maybe even the the cheeks stood up a little bit and the whole. He's going to have to get laser the tattoos off his face. Yeah, they might just put a. They might have to just tattoo a new face on him. Is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe some moles in some places and stuff like that. Like I think he's going to have to very much transform into a different human because I believe uh, that gang gang that he was referring to, they got shooters and they'll show up right yeah. there at his house. Yeah, it's going to be tough for him to put on any live performances, I would guess. Yeah, he's going to be a quarantine rapper forever, I think. He's going to be a Zoom rapper forever, huh? Yeah. Wait, are those real shots? He's back. I don't know. He said he's at home with his family in an undisclosed location. Smart, smart. They're often running. Is he in witness protection? 
No, I don't think they gave it to him. No, he can't. Because he, oh, he can't get it. Yeah, there's, there was something going on where he couldn't get it. It wasn't offered up to him. It's probably a tattoo on his face. I mean, that's part. <laughs> we'll of it. change your name, kid. But that fucking thing you got on your face is <laughs> going to be a problem. Yeah, he got out early, didn't he? Because of the COVID. Because of COVID, yeah. Yeah, he's got he's got under house arrest till August, like everybody. I don't and, understand how that works either. Yeah, wouldn't you have to do the rest of your sentence potentially at the house? You would think. What's going on? You got you got prisoners in um, Colorado, I think. Is that? Oh no! Did Fogel get? No, Fogel wouldn't fit his fat ass through that. <laughs> there was there was prisoners just hopping over a fence and just jogging down the street. And then they cut it off at like a certain amount, like 15 prisoners got out. And then the security guards are like, nope, you guys, you missed your chance. Get back in your rooms. And then in Brazil, there was a line of 200 prisoners just jogging out like it was like uh, just a casual stroll, just jogging out of the jail while I was behind them. I think a lot of prisoners are just getting out of jail right now. Just like, yep, see you later. Joe Exotic's still locked up, though. Yeah, a lot of nonviolent crimes like they're talking about now, like who can they release to to help the the spread throughout the jails, I guess. But man, that's a weird, like going through each, that's going to take a long time unless you just open a door and let some of them run out and then close the door and say, hey, I don't know. Man, just random times, you might just open a door. If you guys see an open door, you can get out of there, but it's only going to be open for three minutes at a time. Let's get to the YouTube comment section real quick. Twitchy the Great says, Takashi should just kind of die. Okay. Cool. All right, I don't know if you can kind of do Oh, that. H. Twitchy. That'd be like, would that be like a coma? AJ just left what? you hanging. Yeah, he didn't now. do it. Sorry. You're like a ventilator. Oh, I didn't say IO back to you. Hey! <laughs> yeah, Life dude. Support. I wasn't sure what you were doing. I wasn't sure if you just. You know, I did that at a college game day, the pre-show there. Oh, IO mm-hmm. was in front of like uh, I don't know however many people were there, a couple thousand. Mm-hmm. I know somebody that's done that in front of the entire stadium. They did that. Oh, IO. Do you remember that, Foxy? <laughs> yes, I, I do recall that story being told to us. Yeah, yeah, because I did the OH, you know, and a uh, little big nut was sitting there, and the whole squad was there behind Carpenter was there, you know. IO! And it was a pretty cool little thing. And then I was told immediately afterwards, like, is that the most people you've ever done that in front of? And I, was, <laughs> I said, yeah, it's probably the only time I've ever done it, to be honest with you. Like, oh, I've done it in front of the whole stadium. I was like, <laughs> well, okay. someday, told hey, you someday you'll get your chance. Someday, that's I, Yeah, someday I'll get my chance to do that. Wait, who told you they did it in front of the whole stadium? Hey, that's one. It, that was tough, isn't it? That was tough to listen to from that person. You would be very <laughs> difficult to take that person serious after they told you that, wouldn't it? Right to your face, it'd be very just going forward for the rest of your life. It'd be very tough to take that person <laughs> serious, wouldn't it? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it is. Who it has? Who would it be? Come on, nah, I can't do it. How would you do it in front of the whole stadium? First off, like grabbed a mic during a game somehow. Someone got a. a, a a handheld mic and went to the 50? None of us really understood what he was saying, but he said it very confidently, and then I just walked away and told him to go fuck himself. Actually, I think I actually said to him, I think, I think I actually told him, oh, you think very highly of yourself, and then I just walked away. Like it was, one of the, it was one of the most savage things I've ever said to somebody in the moment, and to be honest, it was like seven layers filtered before I could have put it out because there were some pretty important people standing around, you know, so I had to. Was this person that said it one of those important people? Nah. No. Nah. nah. I don't know. I don't know who's oh, important these days. I don't know who's making decisions these days. It was awesome to watch. I'm, yeah. I'm curious to see uh, Foxy who that person may be. Foxy and Zeno had a front row seat to me just potentially burying somebody and going. You didn't get it on. They didn't get it on camera. I, no. have, I have a photo of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Zeno tried. Like we were. It was. It was a walkout. We were leaving because all those game days we'd go in. 
we'd do the show and then we would leave immediately after because Saturday afternoon was really the only time we were home all the season. So mm-hmm. to get out of there was a pretty, you know, monumental thing because it was like, hey, another week down, here we go until we fly to New York in 23 hours or whatever it is, right? So we were trying to get out of there. So we're walking out and I got like stopped on my way out almost. Like, so head down, walking, here we go, stop. Was that the most people you've ever said that in front of? <laughs> it's like, excuse me? Was the OHIO thing? Was so that- they stopped you just to tell you that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah dude. Oh, I hate this person. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's hard. It's very What an awful thing. To, like, why? What would ever make you do that? So I'm walking, you know, me and Foxy Zito. We don't really and know. You could, and I'm sure, though, you were giving off the vibe like, hey, I'm trying to get the hell out of here. Oh, yeah. I think we even had a security one. Like, I think it was even like, uh, hey, we're doing this. And it was like, oh, excuse me. Whoa. <laughs> excuse me. Is that the most people you've ever done? And I just, I said, excuse me? I've done it from the whole stadium. <laughs> you think very highly of yourself, huh? Okay. Go fuck yourself. And then we walked out. It was quite a moment. But we were walking out, and I... As we got past the moment, right? As we got past the moment, I think the security person we were with was like, that was weird. And I was like, that was awesome, you mean? I turned to Foxy and Zito. I was like, did we catch that? And Zito was like, I got a picture. I fucking, I couldn't. I'm so sorry I didn't get the camera up quick enough because we thought it was just an exit package. It turns out we were running into... Oh, man, I don't know. I hope this person (laughs) is not one of my friends. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Come on. Then I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Because I can't. I don't want to cut that person out. Oh, wait. Too late. It wasn't Bobby Carpenter, by the way. I, yeah, I know it's not. I knew it wouldn't be Bobby because that'd be too easy to pick out because he was there with you and he mentioned his name earlier. But <laughs> the fact that I, th- I also think this person's a liar. Uh, probably. But? No one goes. No one in front of the whole stadium and says, OH, and then they all respond, IO. They, like at Ohio Stadium, they do like the OHIO chant around the stadium. That happens during games. It's like every place has their thing, but no one like mm-hmm. takes a mic before a, a football game. No one has a mic down there. I, and was, they, I know the, it wasn't the a football guy game. that's uh, the PA announcer, he's not doing it. I was surprised, by the way, whenever he told me. I didn't think it was possible to say it in front of that many people, but he pulled it off, you know, and that's, that's what I'm talking about. The, the, have you ever dotted the I for that cult? No, that's a that's like a huge honor. They don't let anyone really do that other than like Jack Nicholas, uh John Glenn I think did. Like you got to you got to be a pretty special person. AJ Hawk, Ohio State legend can't dot the i. There's a lot lot of great players that came through Ohio State Pat in case you're not wondering, in case you are wondering. Are any of them driving a Tahoe that says Ohio State legend on the license plate? Mm-hmm. I I bet they're I, that's not me. I don't have that, but I'm sure there actually are some of those people. Do they Maybe get, that person that stopped you? That's right. You got to dodge. Do they get to dot the i? I don't know. I don't know what you have to do to dot the i. To be honest with you, hey, that Horseshoe Stadium was awesome. Uh, but going in there was that was my first time ever in there for that game day. It was awesome. It was. I mean, it was. I mean, it was a yeah. cult, but it was awesome. Yeah, all great, especially college football teams. Like it is a cult cult atmosphere Bro, and what's cool about Ohio State like 105,000 people inside what is there 300,000 outside tailgating they, they don't mess around like, they have the, legit tailgates yeah the tailgates are not some half ass let's have some beers in the parking lot either there's people taking beer bongs to the face there is full on things are going down I mean it was a great atmosphere great environment but obviously I only said it in front of a couple thousand people I didn't get a chance to do it in front of more another cult that was awesome to be a part of there for a little bit was Georgia oh, UGA Georgia. Mm-hmm. Just watching, I don't know, 
50 to 60,000 adults start barking. <laughs> I was drooling. Dumbfounded. I was absolutely dumbfounded. We're talking about some of the most successful people I've ever encountered just flanking us to the left and to the right and an entire section of humans below us all above the ages of 25 just full bark to get their team to maybe get a shot to beat that LSU squad and everybody in there knew they didn't have a fucking shot but they were barking their asses off as hard as they could and I've never seen anything like that I was I was mind blown by it AJ I, yeah, I haven't been down to, to many of those SEC schools I would it's like different. to go and see what it's like it's different down there People say it. That's like the tagline. It is re- It is a hundred percent real. It is. I mean, Ohio State, same thing though. By the way, I don't. I don't think there's much difference there. I would assume from a lot of other places though. Mm-hmm. It's just a complete different ball game down there in the south. Oh, it's so different. West Virginia has a good atmosphere though. Take me home. No, they don't, bro. Oh yeah, I just got sent a video of me doing the O H I O thing. Uh, I was figuring not whether or not I wanted to play it. I think we're past it. You know what I mean? I think okay. we're past it. But uh, West Virginia was a great environment. All drunk. Everybody's hammered. The issue we had was there were free tickets for the students. So the mm-hmm. free tickets you just had to sign up for. And we'd be up like 20 at halftime, and you couldn't drink in the stadium. So all the students at halftime would just go take it easy over there. I was upset too, but not that upset. <laughs> the, the students would just filter out of the stadium right back into the parking lot and then never come back in. And it was like for the entire second half, we're up 20 on a team. We may be on national television, but it's a big deal. And the entire top of the stadium was just empty. I think it's changed a little bit. I think Oliver Luck potentially started changing it up a little bit. And now the new AD has tried. But back in the day, that was our problem is we get up too much and then the place would empty out. And if it became a game, you'd see people start sprinting back in the stadium. It was a it was a rompous atmosphere. But we, yeah, it used to get crazy. It would throw stuff at the other team and stuff like that. It's, it's the type of atmosphere I enjoy and I assume you do as well. Oh, love it. I would love to play for that team and also go in and when you go to places like that, when you're the opposing team, I think it's a lot of fun. And if there's ever a stadium or ever a school that needs to serve alcohol at football events, it's West Virginia. They did. Oliver Luck, first day on the job, by the way. He was like, "Uh, by the way, everybody in here is drinking from our tailgate, not outside. We're going to get – Get kegs of beer, and we're going to sell you an 18-ounce beer for $36, and we're going to make tons of money. Because <laughs> you'll pay for it. Think about it. You're inside the stadium. Like Also, when it's new, and you think, like, oh, this is cool. I can drink it here after I've been coming to games for 30 years, and I'm, I have to sneak my booze in. Now I can actually buy it right here. Uh, there, uh, Diggs has something. Uh, breaking confirmation news. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell informed teams that facilities will remain closed indefinitely and the league will conduct a fully virtual draft with club personnel separately located in their homes. All right, so hey, what what the, the boys can get prepared to do come draft time, we're going to have to evaluate like the background oh, yeah. of some mm. of these coaches, GMs, players. Like, There's going to be, especially when they cut to players and they're in their living room, there's going to be some awesome environments created by the family members and friends surrounding that player. They always do, by the way, but now it's even more important because it's going to be an actual part of the broadcast as opposed to a cutaway, let's see the celebration while we talk over it. It's going to be cutaway celebration. Let's now interview them at that house. Their tech is not ready for this. Let's have a terrible conversation with some family members yelling in the back. They know nothing about the team they just got drafted to or the fan base. Let them say some things and let's go back to our virtual set now with Rich Eisen in LA somebody in Bristol and then Roger Goodell from his house in the middle of the screen it this is going to be awesome this is going to be 
awesome. It, it's, it's a potential train wreck, which doesn't happen at the NFL. The NFL is normally very methodical. They're normally well thought out. They have the best of the best for everything. I mean, they hosted 250,000 people last year for that Nashville draft. I mean, normally everything is so this is a lot of outliers, a lot of X factors. How will they adjust? Will they be able to adjust as well as McAfee and Hawk sports talk? Yeah, I don't know if that was your big sign-off or something. You were trying to end the show. Show's over. Show's over. Look good, feel good. Feel good, play good. Play good, pay good. Pay good, live good. Live good, die good. Joining us now is a man who's quarterback at Texas A&M. Then he transferred to Houston. You saw him last year with the Carolina Panthers. Ladies and gentlemen, the handsome Texas boy, Kyle Allen. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. Kyle, incredible movie-like start to the season last year, and then obviously things changed. Now you're a Redskin. What did you learn about yourself throughout last year and the NFL in general? That was a crazy year, man. It was crazy. You know, we came out and won a bunch of games right away. We were playing well. We were playing well as a team, and then, you know, things kind of started to crumble all around on both sides, and I think the experience was huge for me, and I think the experience was huge for a lot of young guys on that team, and you know, I think you got to have some of those moments. I think I had some of those moments in college where you learn from it and you become a better player. I think you got to have some of those moments in the NFL too. And so, I think uh, I think it's a lot of stuff to learn from, but it's good experience. I got to play twelve games last year. I got to start twelve games, and after going undrafted two years ago, I mean, didn't even expect that to happen. All the greats, not all of them. No, all of them have struggled early. I mean, that's just the introduction to the NFL is a different world as it is from high school to college and then college to the NFL is just so much different. What did you experience was the biggest difference in those games where you maybe weren't playing as great or you guys didn't win as much? What was the biggest difference from college football to the NFL? Is it the disguises of the coverages? Is it the athletes? What was it you that you saw as a big problem? I think the more you, the more you play and the more experience I got, it was – the decision-making in the situations. And I think there's – I had so many different experiences. I think there were some games, like we were playing the Buccaneers in um, in London, and we were up big, you know, and there's different decisions you have to make there. And then we're playing the Saints, and we're down 14, six minutes into the game, and there's different decisions you have to make there. And, and we're playing the Falcons, we're down 20 in the first half, and quick, and I'm throwing three picks in the first half, you know, and there's just different decisions in different situations that you experience and you figure out, okay, how do I need to play in these situations? What decisions do I need to make? Um, do I need to be aggressive? Do I need to be conservative? Is it time to fit this ball in or is it time to throw it? Well, it's always time to throw to McCaffrey, but <laughs> is it time to check it down, you know? But I think that was the biggest thing is just trying to understand how to manage those situations. Well, it, that's like when you're golfing, right? It's when you're golfing and you just start hammering the ball and you're like, how far is it? Once you start playing the course as opposed to just hitting the ball as far as possible, they say you become a better golfer. I still haven't figured it out, but I'm happy you got a chance to do that. <laughs> Yeah, I shot a 93 the other day, so I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> Where are you at? I see palm trees in the back and a big-ass mountain. Are you in Arizona? I'm in Scottsdale. Here you go. Oh, you look go, at that pool. Oh, oh back in the NFL life. I'm chilling in quarantine. This ain't my house. This is my girlfriend's cousin's parents' house. So <laughs> Reloading. Uh, you got traded to the Redskins for a fifth-round draft pick. Ron Rivera was the coach that brought you into Carolina. I'm assuming that that connection is what brought you to Washington and what is your relationship like with Ron Rivera my relationship's always been good with him I mean when I got picked by the why didn't you picked I got undrafted free agent by the Panthers two years ago 
my signing bonus was three thousand dollars. That a boy. So, hey, obviously, yeah. Hey, that a boy. Yeah, big flex, right? But um, you know, that's not a lot of commitment. And so for him, when I came in, he always came up to me in practice, and he was always the one that was pushing me in practice. He was telling me to take advantage of my reps. He was telling me that I was going to get my opportunity at some point. And so I always appreciated that from him. And he just told me to take advantage of every opportunity I could. And I just really felt like I did that on the Panthers. And so when he got he got fired, the day he got fired in uh, Carolina was a tough day. And um, those last four games were really weird without him there. And then this offseason, you know, I didn't really expect to get traded. I was in Carolina. I signed a contract three years ago or three weeks ago in Carolina. And then I got a random call from my GM saying I got traded. And so um, I think it's a really good situation for me in, uh, in D.C. with Scott and with Rivera. And, you know, just same system, same coaches. And me and Rivera have always had a really good uh, relationship. Isn't it interesting? That's the business of the NFL right there. Sign a contract extension three weeks ago. See you later. You're going to D.C. We don't want you anymore. Three weeks ago. It's insane. It, it, there's no other – I mean, professional athletics as a whole has that. But that's the thing that changes it from being that high school game that you played and loved to a completely different environment of this being 100% of business. And I am the piece that Rick from Pawn Stars is currently negotiating over. <laughs> Rick from Pawn Stars, exactly, yeah. What are, what, what are some things you watch, shows you watch? What are you into? Did you see Tiger King, obviously? I mean, binged it. Two days, Tiger King. <laughs> There's another episode coming out this week. I have no idea what Joe Exotic could be up to at the moment. There's another episode? Yeah, Kyle, get out of the mountain and out of the desert. Netflix is releasing another episode this week. Should be good for conversation. What did All you, right, I'm tuned in. What, what have you been up to uh, this quarantine? How have you been staying in shape? You've been throwing balls into that pool? Yeah, I mean, I've been doing the pool. Well, we were out in uh, – I actually just got kicked out of my lease in California. We were out there until April 1st, and then this all happened. I didn't have a clue where we were going. We were supposed to start OTAs today. Today was the day. And so, I mean, we're just crashing out here, um, just working out, doing Pilates with my girl, throwing when I can, trying to stay safe. And it's a weird time, man. I mean, I don't know if we're going to start in three weeks. I don't know if we're going to start July 25th. And so, it's just weird trying to stay in shape and, and not get fat, honestly. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you got kicked out of the Carolina Panthers and your house in relatively the same time period. Now you're going into the Washington Redskins organization. Have you talked to Dwayne Haskins? Are they doing iPad learning right now? How are you learning the new playbook, or is it a new playbook? And are you already done with the playbook because you've been in it for the last couple of years? Yeah, so it's the same playbook for me. And so for me, it's just trying to get, uh, get in communication with a lot of the guys and and try to teach them the playbook, honestly, because it's Norv's system. Scott's going to run the same system as Norv, and so there's going to be some differences. He's going to be he's going to make it his own thing, but it's going to be originally the same, just from the basis of it. So for me, it's good. It's better. I was already trying to learn Joe Brady's system, and now I'm switching right back into uh, Norv's system. And so um, they can't do anything yet. I think they're going to start sending out iPads soon. I'm not sure what the rules are. I think they're talking about maybe having some Zoom meetings here soon, but. Right now, where they're just trying to figure it out. But for me, I'm just trying to reach out to guys and see if they, they're trying to learn the playbook, what's going on, and just sending out as much information as I can from memory. What are you expecting your role to be over there? Are you going to be that? It's only like your third year, but you're going to be a vet over there immediately upon arriving, both in the system and in the league. Is that a, That's what has to be a whole new role for you. How are you preparing for that? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I mean, the last couple of years, it's kind of been learning from everybody, especially learning from Cam, trying to learn the system and just – trying to learn the way of how to succeed in the league and how to win. And so this year it's going to be kind of a new role, but I'm excited for it. I'm excited to be able to be that guy that 
that coaches people and that guy that gets people in the right position. My third year in the system, I've been blessed to be three years in the same system and three um, and three years in the league. So it'll be a cool, interesting role. I know I'm going to come in and compete and try and win that job and and play as much as I can. The same thing I do every year, but it's going to be an it's going to be a fun role to be able to be that guy that's putting people in place this year instead of still trying to figure it out. Cam Newton has been posting a lot of videos of him getting back in shape, slinging the ball around. What do you expect, especially being around Cam Newton on a very intimate uh, basis? What do you expect from Cam Newton next year when he finally finds a home? Yeah, you know, Cam is one of the hardest workers I've ever been around. And, I mean, he might be backpedaling on, on the treadmill for an hour and a half or shuffling on that treadmill for an hour and a half or yelling into the camera for an hour and a half. But he is <laughs> one of the hardest workers I've ever been around. So once Cam finds a home and finds a team that's going to trust him and, and give everything to him and give him the keys and, and let him be himself, I think they're going to find a lot of success with him. And I still think he does have a lot in the tank. I think so, too. And he's not happy with the way Carolina Panthers treated him either. I mean, he is pissed off about it. He seems like a guy, if he has a chip on his shoulder, probably going to go prove something, too. Yep, 100%. And he does have a big chip on his shoulder. Big old chip. But you're going into Washington, though, to compete for that job? Is that what you were told? Yeah, hey, we need competition here. Ron Rivera said he wants competition everywhere. He liked what Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes were able to do with each other. He said the same thing about that room. If Alex Smith is back, he wants competition in there, bringing you in there, he wants competition. Is that the message that was sent to you whenever you were traded over there? Yeah, I think that's the consistent message. And I think competition is going to breed – more success out of everyone, it's going to make everyone better. I know you know that too. I think in every room that I've been in, I think there's been some spring balls in college where I had no competition and I had some of the worst spring balls or some of the worst practices I've ever had. And then they bring in competition and it just breeds the best out of everyone. So I think there's going to be a lot of competition around every room, especially in that quarterback room. All right, man. Uh, you have a question for him? Have you, have you trained with Jordan Palmer? Yeah, I was out with Jordan last couple months. Not a bad guy. He's a good guy. I'm a big fan of his. That group that you guys all train with is an incredibly talented one. Yeah. I was I was thinking about crashing at Sam's house when I got kicked out of my league. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. You'll get mono. Yeah, you'll get mono exactly. rolling around here. Don't mono. be licking the walls. Save him from coronavirus. We can't have him get both. <laughs> <laughs> good luck with the Redskins. We appreciate your time. Enjoy that weather out there in Arizona and try to stay as safe as possible. Thanks, man. Ladies and gentlemen, Kyle Allen. We appreciate you, man. boy, Kyle. Undrafted free agent. A couple years later, fifth round draft pick trade for it. Ron Rivera says, hey, let's do some competition down there. Interesting career because he was the number one uh, recruit coming out of high school, like into college, and then he transferred and then undrafted. I, I am a massive fan of that story. Mm-hmm. All right, I can't thank you all enough for choosing to listen to this show. Please remember to continue to post this is where I'm at, Pat, hashtag this is where I'm at, Pat, with a picture of your surroundings. And I know it might not be as perfect as any of us could hope, but we will survive. Hey, hey. Ty Schmidt, please play some independent music.